This is Cowboy Shit with Ted Stoven and Wacey Anderson. Brought to you by Everything Cowboy. Welcome to episode 116 of Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wacey. My name is Ted Stoven. He is Wacey Anderson. And... We're here with our first ever guest from the Chuck Wagon Racing World, and uh, from Chucklandia. Apolog- yeah, from Chucklandia, and I gotta say, I'm uh, my apologies to uh, the Chuck Wagon World for taking this long. Um, I, but I don't know if anybody there has listened before, or you know, I couldn't, I can't tell you if if anyone in that uh, world has much. So I think I they, I think, they I think we do have some fans in there because I saw, I met Tough Dragger okay. at TP Creek last summer and he was yep. wearing a cowboy shit sweater and a hoodie hey, or a hoodie and right. a hat well so then do you have some fans so then sorry we took so long to get a uh someone from the chuck wagon world on the show i think in saying that though i think it's good timing with stampede being back with their truck it's a full yeah. season of truck wagons are back so i think it's true timing wise it works out well so sorry but also not sorry and, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> with the amount of with the amount of people that are uh following our stuff now in the u.s for those of you listening from south of the 49th parallel, mm-hmm. you may not know what Chuck Wagon Racing is. So this show may or may not be of interest to you, but we hope uh, that you stick around for the journey and uh, hear what Ray has to say because it's uh, it was a pretty fun, pretty fun show. And if, and if you ever, you know, have any ambitions to travel and come see us in Calgary, then the Chuck Wagon Racing is a pretty big part of the Stampede. So a little bit of insider info here if you uh, you know haven't been seen chuck wagon before chuck wagon mm-hmm. racing a little bit about it we probably post like a video or something of yeah. chuck wagon racing probably we'll should try have. and track something down maybe yeah, ray can send us a cool video or something or yeah we can get very, something to work work on something there it's a good call but yeah. uh this show happened because my friend raleigh jones called me out of the blue from back in the day we used to go to the high school rodeos together back when we were 15 16 and uh said hey you should get ray Carter on the show I'm like oh yeah good idea so i called ray that night and then the next day we had him on the show so uh Thanks to Riley for reminding me to get Ray on the show. And uh, so okay. here it is. Here we are. And it's uh, it's May. Wait, see, it's May. And this show's out on the, isn't it May the 4th? Like May the 4th. The 4th, fourth. baby. It's a big right. month for the Star Wars, folks. Star Wars Day. <clears throat> Star Wars Day. And the Obi-Wan Kenobi series comes out in three weeks. So that's huge for anybody who's a Star Wars fan. Like, that's huge. Exciting. Like, really I'm fucking that's fired exciting. up. I'm fired um, right up. It's um, also... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I, I was going to say, it's also know. Mental Health Awareness Month. Okay. Something that I thought that would have yeah. been February. Like, <clears throat> yeah, it's weird, but it's Mental Health Awareness Month. So that's okay. Topic to be talked about. So it's cool. cool to it's cool to talk about stuff. And our friend Cor Blonde has been having some shows in Calgary. We've got to, uh, you went to one. I went to one. We're also going to go tonight. We're recording the show on Monday. And uh, yeah, got going to go. He's ripping, Korb. man. He is yeah. ripping. Yeah. That's new- when, I went, when I went last week, man, he was. That was one of the best sets I've ever seen Corb play in my life. Like the I, band, like everybody's dialed. I like the, uh, I like the the bass and harmonica player. That guy is man. He is too. very good. He is yeah, very 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 big good. fan of that guy. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Slapping the shit out of that bass. Did Mr. you go? Mr. Were Burns. you at the Palomino? Yeah, in the basement. That's a cool venue for music. I went there on Friday. Yeah, it was neat. Yeah. The last time I remember being there, I think I saw Lindy Ortega there. Yeah, a long time ago. Good place but, for good place for lunch or supper. Good barbecue. Yeah, and a heck was of a music right. venue. I had the brisket, and I can honestly say I didn't honestly love parts of it. I don't know if it was a bad part of the day or if I got a fatty piece of brisket, but 
was not super impressed with the brisket, but the cornbread lights out. And the yeah, I had brisket there like a week ago for lunch, and it was really, really good. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been a bad, bad goal. Might have had a bad batch. Who knows? Bad slice. Mm -hmm. The garlic fries there are also very, very good. Really. What about the King Eddie? What do they got for food? You ever go there? I've never been. This is my first time tonight, man. Okay, me too. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, cool. So, do, you know, do you know like the story about the King Eddie, how they rebuilt it like brick by brick from they did Studio Bell? Really. Yeah, so they like they built the new Studio Bell, which is like downtown Calgary, and part of it was like attaching it to the King Eddie. So they had to like tear it down and they numbered each brick individually and they rebuilt it like brick by brick. So it stayed because it's like a really, it's like a hundred year old building. It's like an Dang. OG Calgary place. Yeah. That's pretty so, cool. Yeah. It's pretty, it's a cool venue. It's got a lot of history. So I'm excited to go check it out. It's going to be interesting. So yeah, it'll be fun. Um, I got to fill you in two ways. Uh, so I was talking to my friend Josh the other day. He runs an audio company here in town. FM, and I was like, right? yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm not that busy next week. And he's like, oh, well, come to work for me. And I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. Why not? So I went to <laughs> went to the Stampede grounds today and helped mm -hmm. set up the red lot, like the parking lot where everybody can watch the hockey games. Dude. So we're gonna get into some playoff hockey stuff, stuff here in the second half, but that's that's cool, man. Good for you. That'll be nine Calgary's to five. Calgary gonna be buzzing. Man, nine to five. My first nine to five workday in quite a while. It was different. <laughs> How was it? It was different. <laughs> I told I talked to Storm on the phone on the way home. She was like, So what did you think? And I'm like, I didn't love it, not gonna lie. Like I made it like thing. I made it through is fine. Like, you know, it was good to just turn my brain off for a while and just like do some work and, and learn some new stuff. Cause they, they run some pretty big shit compared to what mm -hmm. we do. Mm -hmm. So it was neat to like, see how that worked and learn some shit. But she was like, yeah, well, at least you learned what, you know, at least you figured out you're in the right place. You don't want to do the nine to five stuff. So, and it was still like working outside and working an event. It was it's been a beautiful good. day in Calgary too, to be outside. Yeah. I think I had a little bit of sun on me there, but yeah, oh, it was a sweet day. Uh, learned some new shit, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty pumped for some playoff hockey. I ended up, uh, we uh, I won't be at the first two games. We got stuff going on now, but uh, hopefully, uh, I mean, I would be fine if, if Calgary swept it and there was no game five, but uh, game five is probably when I'm hitting it up, going to watch. Yeah, man. Whatever that is. So I think Calgary gets, well, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it in the next half because we got our, some, yeah. some, some hockey we're going to get into. But yeah. Tell me what good. else you got on the top of the show here. You had a couple things. Man, so, so rodeo, 2022 rodeo season is officially back. Yeah. And we're we're kind of getting the, the, the events rolling. Like the pro rodeo season's already started. CCA's on the road. Rodeo, Darby's on the road. Stay tuned to everythingcowboy.com for some yeah. coverage from, Dar from the Darbinator. The Darbinator getting stuff done. But yeah, there's been, it's been good. Like, things are fire. It's good to see events back. And so, yes, I worked the, North full events too eh yeah oh dude friday and saturday night north battleford we're Unreal. about as full as you can get it yeah there it was really cool to see us i think folks are like excited that events are back be able to get out and about have some beer see some old friends that kind of deal one thing i did notice is the lack of contestants i mean maybe this might just be a cca thing or whatever but throughout the weekend there was six tie down ropers total out of two performances five steer wrestlers maybe right well, it's a short, it, was a short, it was a short round Sunday. It was like championship Sundays. They brought times people back. Really? Wait, so yes. there was only six contestants though, or six runs? Six contestants. Like the whole, in, like in two, two days? In two days. In the tie down roping, steer wrestling. There was less than six in the saddle bronc riding. There was one bareback rider and there was maybe a handful of bull riders. No, no, there's, there was like eight or nine bull riders over the two days. Jeez, so, that's rough. So what they man, have? Uh, how'd they have for a show? Like what else did they have in the show? Had bullfights, they? They had bullfights and then they had like a couple of clown acts and there was like, there was lots of like, there's full barrel racing, obviously and team roping. Okay. Um, but they had novice events. It was as well, but 
Oh, it was okay. just one of those what about things. Steer riding? How many steer riders? No steer riding. Nothing. It wasn't even in the show. Was it not a must, no must not have been a, not must not have been included. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. I'm not sure. But huh. yeah, it was weird. It's weird. It's it's funny to me that there was that little, especially in events where there's traditionally lots of folks, right? Like, so I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if folks maybe like the weekend warriors who usually used to go like used to do that. Maybe they found other stuff to do over the kind of the the last two years and. Or maybe it's too expensive to go. But the one thing, Sarah and I were talking about at lunch today is like, we got to find, it's funny with the saddle, like the horse riding events, how little people there are. And I, we need to find ways to get, It's I think it's kind of in the same position that bull riding was in like a few years ago where the bulls were so much better than the riders. That was hard. We weren't really pumping out a lot of quality guys or a lot of guys going up, climbing up the ladder through the grassroots to the pros. But I think, I think the bull riding is slowly catching up. Like I was talking to Perry Gursky and he said there's, there's 18 bull riders in Saskatchewan High School Rodeo right now. Yeah, he said like he said like that is a good, good group of, a good group of them should go on to, to continue so um you yeah, saw know Perry in north battleford was he there yeah he's judging yeah oh right on yeah we're okay. bullshitting have a couple of beers and stuff yeah it's good good to see you good to see old perry but yeah i don't know it's just it was just funny to me that that those events were so so light and it, it's just huh. I, don't, I mean to find i think we need to figure Odd. something out or like find ways. yeah I, I don't know have an explanation for it but it was a it was an observation that i think like i said especially the timed event side where usually you have a lot of folks doing it and um yeah there wasn't really that many but they they did have the breakaway opening this year as full time to the cca which is really cool so there's a lot there i think there's like 17 entries or 20 entries or something like that which is pretty good so huh. stuff is doing well but there's a few events that are lacking and we need to get some people going so huh. we need to find a way i'm not too sure what the solution is there but something yeah. that something to be wary of something to be mindful of moving forward in rodeo ted and wacy's rodeo school for kids who want to learn how to do rodeo and other Starm and I actually we had a really good brainstorm session about how we could take the rodeo school experience to the next level than just the inside of the arena stuff. We could add in some outside of the arena elements, but I think we'll, I would add a lot of benefit to that stuff. Man, but I, that's a conversation we can have off the line. Do you remember that? Remember that uh one of these guys reached out asking about rodeo school or something, and I said I didn't see many on the list. There was a few things here and there, like and I sent him a couple links, and mm -hmm. I was like, but hey, what about this? And I said, Wasey and I'll train you and teach you. But then he never mm. got back. He just ghosted us. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I, I guess he didn't want it that bad. But you know what I, you know what I was thinking the other day though about rodeo side of things is that there's no entry level position at the very at a very young age. You can play hockey when you're what like organized hockey when you're what like five six. It's kind yeah. of the entry point. Yeah. Uh, probably, yeah. Right. Five or six, and then you go because uh, there's a, a scenario I'll bring up here in a moment, but. You know, soccer you can play while you're in school, mm -hmm. uh, volleyball, basketball, badminton, baseball, like all these different things you can start when you're like six, eight, six years old, right? Mm -hmm. Where do you start at six years old in an organized environment with rodeo? Anywhere from six to 12, because you don't start like steer riding in the CPRA till you're 12. Yeah, the, or high school or junior it'd like, high. It'd be, like pee -wee, it'd be like peewee, peewee barrel racing at the, like a carrot rodeo. Yeah, right. That's the only, only entry event. Point. Mm -hmm. right so i got it kind of like made me think and i ended up i i called scott schiffner about it because he's on the uh, alberta high school rodeo uh board now i think so I, I called him and left a message we haven't got connected on the phone yet but mm -hmm. but i was i'm wondering like what you know they've got junior high rodeo which is probably this next step after the peewee barrel racing or the mutton busting which mm -hmm. mutton busting's it's not organized it's the fun yeah it's a value show, add like to it. the show yeah it's not an actual mm -hmm. i don't know whatever but but 
you know, what, what does that look like? Where, where's that entry point? You know, it's, there's yeah. some little britches rodeos and a few little things like that, but I wonder where that like, for the small spurs too, they were doing some cool stuff. That's right. That's right. That's a, that's a great example here in Alberta, but then again, it's only in Southern Alberta uh, mm-hmm. around Claire's home. So, so I wonder, I wonder what that looks like. I, it's kind of been on my brain a little bit. Cause I, and I realized I'm like, well, shit, we don't have that entry level spot really where no. small spurs is do it was doing that, but that's only one spot mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. of the, you know, out of the entire mm-hmm. province. And they were doing a hell of a job with the steer riders. They kicked ass. There was a lot of good kids. Yeah. In that little program. So. Yeah. And I, I guess like, and that this is like a less an entry level thing, but like Sask high school rodeo added in like the, the bareback and like saddle bronc on the steers the roping steers in, yeah, in the junior, junior high. high right and i think that still, must be across the board but still yeah it's not an entry point what age is just, junior high anyways i think it's grade seven and how old is a kid at grade seven like, 12? like 11 or 12 yeah yeah so you're still missing pretty like six to i know yeah yeah age yeah. Range, hey? yeah yeah, so yeah. I, I just it kind of like crossed my mind the other day i was like holy mm-hmm. shit you know maybe this is why because we don't have that entry level and it's it's fucking dangerous too right so that's it. Yeah, that's the one thing right. too is exposing some kids like that at such a young age to something to the danger side of things. It's almost right. Well, like you, how do you do it? I don't think the mini bronc riding is the answer either. No, it's a disaster most of the time. And even the mini bull riding, you see those really young kids getting on those little bulls. Yeah. It's like ah, I don't. don't like your your body's either. still growing, and there's so much. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I love it. I don't know if I love it, but yeah, I, mean, I don't know. There's so, got to be a way. Yeah. Yeah, maybe the junior NFR stuff. Some of it, like I don't yeah. know. I'm just something to dream about. So anyways, better get on to the next part of the show. But, uh, so <laughs> Good conversation of, to thoughts. think about. Yeah. A couple yeah, of yeah. thoughts. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. We'll be back with our interview with Ray Crotto Jr. Right after this. Thanks for listening. This is Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wasey. And we are on the 116th episode. Make sure to check out everythingcowboy.com. Check it out. We got news. Darby's looking some stuff up. Videos. Good times. We'll be back after this. There's the horn, and the charge is underway, and a quick start for Ray Crotto Jr. as he gets southbound and out of town. Neighbors, leaders in the industry. Ray Crotto Jr., leaders on the racetrack tonight as he takes a two-wagon length lead over Tim Harrelson's outfit with through two big solutions. Brian Lavakin, Ryan Oaks. Hey, Ray Crotto, what a beautiful turn. That was I'm awesome. A tighter than I like, but holy cow. <laughs> Keep an eye on my outriders, Tom. Hey, when you're going for it, you got to go. And you you turned, missed that barrel by like two inches. So what a beautiful barrel turn. Ray Crotto, Jr. Clear the leader by two and a half. Look at this. Through tubing, Tim Harrelson. Welcome to episode 116, Cowboy Show, Ted and Wasey. We are at our interview segment of the day, and uh, it's kind of a, I guess I want to say like it's kind of a special show because I've been... Groundbreaking for us. Yeah, I've been wanting to have <laughs> a, uh, a uh, well, it's funny, we talked to uh, uh, Jeff Hammond on the last show. He's a race, uh, uh, NASCAR, you know, and we talked we talked about Chuck Wagon Racing, and I actually screwed up because uh, the clip that we recorded with him about Chuck Wagon Racing never made the show because I fucked up and didn't get it in there, uh, didn't send the files over so we have that as a special social clip you may have seen now but uh, didn't make the show so anyways we've got uh, we've got our first chuck wagon driver on the show this week so we appreciate uh, appreciate the time but he uh, he had a he had 18 seasons before he came back but he's back this year he was the top selling uh, 
uh, driver at the Grand Prairie Stampede auction just the other day. Uh, made it to the finals of the Calgary Stampede 2014. Had yep. uh, a horse named to the Calgary Stampede's Equine Equa. Oh, that's a hard one. Equine Award of Excellence uh, in 2000. And uh, what was the year? Actually, I don't. I don't have a year on that. Anyways, he was the 2015 GMC Sierra Cup Series Championship. He spent 15 years on the WPCA Tour after uh, starting out in the CPCA. His family was in the chuck wagon business for, like, I want to say since the beginning. I don't know for sure. We'll get to that here later on. But third-generation chuck wagon driver. The uh, won the CPCA's Meadow Lake Stampede in 2001. He was a CPCA's High Point Rookie Outrider in 1996. High Point Rookie Driver in 1999. Won the Klondike Days Championship in the WPCA in one of his first years. Going to in the WPCA, and uh, I could list off a number of things here, but uh, we'll we'll just get right to it. Please welcome to the show, Chuck Wagon Racing. Um, you know, I don't even know what to, I don't yeah, know how I, to say this, but he's almost the, he's almost the he's almost Driver. the Brett you almost the Brett Favre of Chuck Wagon Racing now. Yeah, and getting back to it. Ray I Crotto like that analogy. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. You got you got Tom Brady comes back, unretires. You got Brett Favre unretires, come back, and Ray Crotto Jr. He had an angel to the list. One of the uh, probably one of the only. I don't know this for sure. I should have asked Billy probably, but one of the only Chuck Wagon drivers to ever come back out of retirement. Is that right, or, or am I totally completely wrong here? There are lots of guys. Yeah, there. well, most of the guys when they retire, they're they're old, older than a you know wore out <laughs> a cowboy boot. So they uh, yeah, they're old. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, I'm. Retired when I was, you know, 35, 36, took half a dozen years off. And uh, anyways, just kind of, you know, did a few different things and went traveling and camping and fishing. And I don't know, I just kind of maybe realized where I belong and, and I don't mind belonging in that, you know, in, in the wagon world and um, spent some time helping Chance Vlad last summer, which kind of really suckered me back in because uh chance outrode for me when i was still racing and, and helped me out a lot and then i got out you know i was retired for a year and, and then he got in the wagon box and got racing and and then just this last year i went and helped him out again and uh kind of got the blood flowing and got me thinking and he you know he was kind enough to let me in the barn and and actually you know let me drive some horses and help him figure out his horses and that's kind of the game part of the game that I really liked you know is you know just figuring out the horse and, and where they got to go and uh, what they're good at and and you know just piecing it all together right so uh, after that about a, about a month doing that I was yeah I was right back in it couldn't get out sucked me uh, back in how hard is it to make a comeback in Chuck wagon racing? Like it's different than like a bull rider or, or Brett Favre or Tom Brady saying they're coming back. They just got to put the pads on and, and get their reps in. Whereas you got to get the horses, get the wagon, get the rig, get the crew, get all that stuff to get happening again. Like that's got to be a task in its own. Yeah. So my approach was I didn't want to, to rebuild from scratch. Um, I had an opportunity with uh, BJ Carey was retiring um, and we made a deal and I, you know, just basically acquired, you know, and it, and it costs a little bit more money and, and whatnot. It's maybe a bigger risk to, to throw your nuts on the line, but, uh, you're going with a core veteran group that, you know, you can build around some horses that are maybe a little bit older that you can train with and, uh, teach the new ones. And then that core group, that's middle-aged horses that are, 
competitive and you can do some damage with right out of the gate. So, um, I, you know, I, there was two or three guys that were wanting to sell and I've went back and forth between all of them. And just, you know, I decided to buy BJ's outfit and, uh, financially made probably the best, most sense, I guess. And then the group of horses were, were, I guess, perfect age and just right in their prime to, to really kind of break out. So that, that's why I did it that way. I didn't want to start from scratch and have to break all new ones and, you know, and, and then go through those first four or five years where you're trying to build that core group and, and, you know, you're weeding through a bunch of horses where here you just kind of hit the ground running and, and hopefully, you know, that commitment into the higher price investment is going to pay you back sooner. Right. So. Well, that'll make your climb back up the ladder a bit easier too, because you got to start right from scratch in that regard when it comes to like your standing or your qualifications when it comes to getting to these bigger events. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, with the way the WPCs kind of set up their permit program this year, I got to be tough the first three shows and I got to qualify. So there's two spots uh, going into Pinoca that the permit drivers are all kind of competing for. Um, and then if you're in the top two of the permit drivers, you get to race there and then you still compete for the rest of the year to get into the finals. So, uh, you know, for permit guys, there's really, there's a little bit of pressure. There's, there's no days off. There's, you know, you got to be gunning because otherwise you miss a Pinoca, you know, there's sponsorship and then prize money, and then you get to the finals and, you know, different shows like that. And it's hard to put a full season together and be committed and, and just, there's too much time off if you're missing shows. Right. So how many permit drivers are there? this season uh i think there's five or six right now like it's it's not a super you know huge group or, or tough group but you still got to be right and you know any i guess competitor regardless of where who you're competing against you know i want to be in the top eight top five of the entire association regardless of the permit guys right so my mindset was always like, yes, you're going to be in Pinocchio. You're going to be at the finals, right? Like that's just my approach. And I, I never thought of anything else or it turning out any other way. So, so when you, when you mentioned Pinocchio and the got to go do well at the first few shows, the Pinocchio tarp auction is uh, this Friday that the show comes out. So it's May 6th. How yeah. does, how, how does the qualifications work if the tarp auction is already happening on like this week? So they sell those two spots as wild cards. Oh, then, okay. Yeah. Two, nice. They'll probably have a list of, of the permit guys and here's who you might be able to get depending on how they do. Okay. And then, you know, so honestly, it's maybe not the best approach for them because I can't bring one of my advertisers to the sale and say, hey, buy one of those spots or buy the first spot. I'm going to be that spot. You know, what if I'm not right? So yeah, you know, I might end up with a little less sponsor money and somebody that I'm not familiar with, or I could take a chance and maybe buy the spot myself um, and then resell it. If I do make it or sell it back to the next driver, if I don't make it, I don't know. It's, it's a gamble, but you, uh, I just kind of let the cards fall where they do and, you know, I'll be there and I'm going to be tough and be fit and be ready. So. How common is that for you guys to bring like folks to buy your tarps with you? Like, I, I didn't realize that was a, 
a thing we had like guys in place before. I thought it was more, more of a random type deal, but is, is that more of a common practice? You build these relationships obviously over the years, but yeah, is it kind of a 50, 50 split almost. No, I, I would say it's like 20% random. The rest are, are really, you know, wagon drivers have done their homework and, or they have their groups they have their guys that enjoy it. And then they kind of put their little uh, clan together and then everybody picks their shows that they want. And you just kind of keep in touch. Cause and honestly, for me to sell most of the tour was um, easier than I thought, actually. You know, I just reached out to some guys that, you know, I've stayed in touch with and we've had fun whether I was racing or not racing. And they're willing to jump back in and, and uh, you know, had some luck along the way, finding a couple new people. And yeah, it's, it's tough. Some, some drivers aren't, they're not, they're not good at selling themselves, right? And, they, and they're shy or they're not confident to, you know, just make a phone call or, or reach out or, or ask other past sponsors for a little help and maybe don't have the connections or whatnot. Right. So it's uh, yeah, it, it's good. You know, you try to bring a couple guys to the tarp sale, but most often you've only got one there and then mm-hmm. wherever it goes, it goes right. Um, before we go too far, too far down the rabbit hole here, uh, we have a pretty decent sized uh, audience in the U S now, Ray. So so about half the listeners in the last few months are in the U.S. So for those that don't uh, maybe know, let's kind of give a little background on the chuck wagon side of things. And, you know, for those that are rodeo fans that are listening, uh, Ray brought his, uh, his rainbow chuck wagon to the Wrangler NFR in 2013 and made a few laps. So if you were at the NFR in 2013 on Thursday night, uh, the second Thursday the NFR, which is Canada night, Ray did a, a full uh, – figure eight inside the Thomas and Mac, which was pretty, uh, pretty impressive for tight quarters and chuck wagon racing. I think the craziest part was probably going, going in and out that alley. Probably I'm thinking trying to like, not you know what? Getting a wreck on looking, the back, looking back. It was a lot of fun. It was, it was a lot of work because, um, well, it all started out was Madison McDonald got my oldest daughter Cora down there to trick ride. And then the year before, wasn't it? Or was it that year? Uh, it was that same year. Yeah. So then they were looking for something new for Canada night. And they said, well, what's more Canadian than wagon racing? And, and, and Madison's like, well, you're already bringing Cora down. Why don't you see if her dad will come and bring some horses? So um, they, you know, their stipulation was, you're not just going to bring some work horses or some trotters. They want me to keep their reds in shape um, and then reassure them on the process of how we're going to come in there and perform and make it look good. So at the time where I was living, we had a riding arena and we'd kind of mocked it up. We'd turn the lights out, a big fancy uh, flashlight to put a spotlight on us. And we just got horses used to the, uh, the inside. Um, and then a lot of times those horses, uh, they, they get a little claustrophobic when they come inside. Right. So they, they don't charge and they're not as aggressive. So uh, we used to do this in Bonneville when the pro rodeo was indoors in Bonneville. So like back when I was in my late teens and, and dad and grandpa always had done it, they'd go indoors. But, um, so I kind of knew what we were up against and I just picked all my kind of runaway or chargiest horses to take down there, which kind of sounds cowboy, but, um, <laughs> you need it when you get into those buildings. Cause they kind of just, they kind of just climb down. Right. So, um, but yeah, we, we rehearsed it five times and then we rehearsed after the rodeo at night so uh, you know there's four t- three times where we hooked four up so all four horses and then the last two uh, we just hooked up in twos 
And the very last time we rehearsed, it was like the night before. And they were worried about how much, how big a grooves I was going to leave in the arena. Because if I left a mess and they had to harrow, I was going to get cut from the act, right? So anyways, <laughs> big, bigger deal. Bigger deal. But um, yeah, we come down, Thomas and Mac, it's underground, right? So you come down the ramp and, you know, there's about five, 600 yards of pavement where we're driving these horses up and, and I kind of warned the crew. I said, you guys got to tell the Cowboys that there's a wagon coming just because I'm familiar with when we raced in Cheyenne and we'd hook in the mornings and there'd be Cowboys out on the track. And if a lot of them, you know, steer wrestling horses or barrel horses or, you know, any team ropers, calf ropers, if them horses haven't seen a wagon and that rumble, I don't know what it does, but they don't like it and they'll run sideways and run into stuff. And anyways, so a wreck. Yeah, it's a wreck. So <laughs> It was a wreck when we come out, but I'll get to that. So anyhow, we get down into the, uh, into the alley and, and there's a, a set of gates that we pull up to and then they close the door behind us to keep it dark. Right. And there's like four feet in the front and three feet in the back. And, and, uh, I can't remember the, one of the bareback riders comes down the tunnel right from the side of us and they're running up to jump on their grand entry horses when they come in with the flags, right. And he comes, kicks the door open and he's like, woo, well, my wheelers just bang. And they're, they jump right. And like, they're ready to go. Like they're, they're hot and horny. And anyhow, he looked at me, he's like, those guys are ready <laughs> and run up to his horse. And so everything was cued to the music. Um, they kicked the gates open and we're sitting there, sitting there. And then, you know, they're waving us and there's about hundred and, 50 feet probably till we crash it into the arena. So as soon as they waved me, like I just whipped them horses and we tried to come out of the dark and into the light as quick as we could. Right. So they had like uh, a big mist air cannon thing off the back of my wagon. And as soon as I come through the gates, they'd trip that. And we did like one and a half laps and then right back out. It was all of like eight and a half seconds. And yeah, it was, I think I have a video. It was like 13 seconds is the entire, the entire piece. Yeah start to finish yeah. chance flat was actually down there helping me do it and and i said vladdy let's go in there and let's roll this thing on its side <laughs> Dude, like, we'll be famous you. forever and he's looking at me he's like oh is like back in the day always helping me and we're out riding and you know breaking horses in the spring and you kind of do get into some wrecks and he's thinking back of all the wrecks we've been in and you know instances and Anyhow, he wasn't all for it, but yeah, we come up and out of the tunnel and we pull them up and they're kind of bouncing and prancing on the, on the concrete there. And we're headed back to where the barn was and cowboys are coming and horses are starting to spook. And there's a steer wrestler, his horse went sideways, probably 50, 60 feet. And, and then he fell off and that horse run down the concrete. And oh man, so we stopped. Yeah, we stopped and I'm like, like I feel bad, right? Like they got some sideshow goof like me there with my wagon and these guys are there competing for money and these horses are scattering like sheep and, and, you know, you don't want them to get hurt. Don't want the Cowboys to get hurt or, you know, stuff like that. Right. So anyhow, I, everything was fine. Um, nobody got hurt and there's a few kind of disgruntled guys, but you apologize and you try to sneak back to the barns and get unhooked and, get out of town before anybody come <laughs> <laughs> some upset barrel racers oh, yeah man. oh yeah 
Well, and, and so, so for, again, for our folks that might not know, uh, the sport of chuck wagon racing has been around since the, I think the, for, I don't, I don't know all the details, but the first time it was at the Calgary stampede, uh, to my memory was 1923, I believe was the first stampede, but you, but the chuck wagon racing business had gone on a long time since then, but maybe just, would you give us a little bit of a, a history, history lesson? Yeah, yeah. Just a little history lesson, Ray. And then, and then as far as you, you mentioned Cheyenne, so speak about that a little bit and you can say, how uh, phony the Houston chuck wagon racing is and, you know, go have reward. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the Houston part of it, it's, they're just pony wagons. So they're, they're basically half the size of our horses. And uh, it's just a show. It's an indoor entertainment thing, you know, and it's good watching if they start rubbing wheels and banging and maybe falling out here and there. But as for wagon racing, like our family got into it into the late sixties, that was grandpa Ray. Um, and then it was mid to early seventies where he had had a few different designs on his wagon. So a lot of people always question me about the rainbow because rainbow's gay pride. Right. So, um, anyways, the rainbow was it, one spring. He had told his daughters, Hey, go paint something on the wagon. And that's what they did. They painted a rainbow on the wagon. So, um, I think we had the rainbow long before the other guys did, but anyways, <laughs> um, and then from there, like dad got racing, uh, would have been probably 85, 86 somewhere there. And I was about five, six years old and I've just kind of been around it for my entire life. So spent 30 years, you know, at the Calgary stampede every July um started all riding when I was 14 I was kind of a bigger stronger kid um you know five foot six five foot seven could handle those horses when I was that young and got into it and then I rode probably till I was about 18 19 um but I started driving when I was 16 um I think I was just starting to kind of get a little haywire around home and that on the farm and I got a truck and I was maybe gonna lead myself astray and my dad reeled me back in and said hey do you want to run a wagon and that kind of gave me something to really focus on and work towards and you know put put some of that extra energy towards and um yeah and from there we we raced and had pretty good career you know throughout i some things uh you know on with time off and and looking back and you know, there's always things you learn and things you want to do different, maybe a little bit and things you'll, you'll, you never change. Right. So, uh, I, I love the years looking back, um, how I grew up on the wagons and all the family and the friends and stuff like that. It's a good atmosphere for, for kids, uh, and their social skills. Cause when they're young, you know, they're meeting new people pretty much every weekend and, you know, they have to talk to sponsors and they make new friends and they're traveling, get to see the countryside and, um, you know, that, that's what took me to Cheyenne. We spent, I think I got to go to Cheyenne probably 10 or 11 years in a row. Uh, we were there for the hundred, um, and, you know, we got to run around and we were roping at the King rope store and, um, you know, we're parked in the back where all the bands were setting up on the stage. That's where the wagons come on the track. So meet Brooks and Dunn and, you know, Billy Dean and Chris Ledoux and guys are just sitting there watching the wagons come through and then you'd get tickets or you're, I was just old enough as there's the grand entry girls are called the dandies. So I was just old enough. That I was kind of tricking into 
making some friends with the dandies and then you'd get some tickets <laughs> and go uh go to standing room only and you know you're eight ten feet from chris ledoux or those kind of you know old time country singers george Strait, you know toby keith all those guys right so and then uh yeah like we used to race in casper wyoming and but you know a lot of the we don't go south anymore it's probably been 15 years i guess since there's a wagon race south of the border but you always wish and hope maybe one day you could go back or and relive that i know a lot of the rodeo grounds have changed and things have changed and they'll never be the same but um they're you know a lot of my fond memories of, of growing up as a kid and, and out riding and getting out in front of the crowds and you know you're just doing a job and performing and you kind of don't really see it or hear it until you know maybe you grow up and look back and appreciate it more right what tell me tell me how the uh races in the u.s worked and specifically cheyenne like it was it a stop on the wpca tour or like how, how did that how did it happen and why did it go away and where all did you guys go i remember hearing about something in vegas at one point like for uh, an event in vegas maybe but tell me the story i don't i don't know the history yeah like so cheyenne was more set up as just a standalone show there was it wasn't a point show so it didn't the standings didn't count so um some of the drivers chose to go and some chose to stay home um dad and grandpa both would go and then dad would usually drive two outfits there at the time the dollar was you know 65 cents diesel was 50 cents a gallon like it was cheap right to go down and then you'd come back and convert that money over and you know you could win 10 15 grand american and then you convert it over and you know you you got 20 25,000 in prize money right and um it was just one of those stops that it it was right after the calgary stampede we'd we'd typically uh stay stay monday after calgary and then we'd load up at night and we our first jaunt we'd pretty well drive all night i i can't remember the stops where we used to stop going down there but probably dylan, um, dylan yeah then you probably get to shine the next day essentially if you're going overnight it was two and a half days to get there. Yeah. Okay. Because we, we would only travel eight or nine hours and then we'd let the horse out to eat and water and move okay. around. Uh, we'd get down there, you know, it was kind of our, our vacation show, I want to say, because it was such, you know, the American show. It was the Cheyenne Frontier Days. It, you know, it was the daddy of them all type of thing, right? So, um, yeah. And we'd race every night and the barns were close. You could hear whoever the the entertainer was for the night and we we're kind of really just a warm-up entertainment for the crowd before they rolled out you know toby keith or alabama or whatever right those big names and and the crowd would get kind of rocking and then they'd have a uh kind of a well they'd have a freestyle bullfight just to chew up a little more time and then the stage was there all the screens were set up and and it was pumping and we'd be finishing chores and the bands were playing and like you know they're probably you know, maybe a quarter mile away, but you could usually hear them clear as day. And one of the other cool things with Cheyenne, they usually, they had a, a big air show there. So one of the, the big air bases for, for Wyoming was in Cheyenne and, you know, they had the big Hercs flying over and, and all these jets and all these planes and like they would, and the, the airport was right next to the rodeo grounds. It was right close. So they were like shaking the campers and the horses. It was something to get used to. Right. And, but We'd get up early by six, you were doing chores. And by nine, it was usually 90 degrees. 
you know, by a lot of the days during the Cheyenne Frontier days, it was, you know, 100, 105 at times. So you'd get back down to 95 or 98 and you felt, oh, this is nice. It's pretty cool today. But yeah, it was kind of our hot vacation with wagon racing. So. And there were a few other U.S. stops, uh, but they were all that kind of uh, exhibition, essentially. Like, in, like yeah, pretty how well. Did even, how did they even get those on the schedule? What, like, how did that even come about? Uh, it was organized by wagon drivers, typically. Like that, the one year that they had races in in Vegas, it was organized by Buddy and Kelly. And then at the time, the WPCA was supposed to go, and there was some conflict and and bickering and this and that. And they chose to, to take the CPCA because the WPCA kind of boycotted it. Um, a lot of politics involved. The one thing with wagon drivers, and I've always called them out, and a lot of them are my friends, is they're always so worried about who's going to make money and and who's going to run the show or who's in charge. And I, to me, it, it never mattered as much because, you know, somebody should own the wagon racing and should make it you know, like a PBR, make it like a NASCAR, probably never, ever be that big, but develop it in a sense and, and own it as a business and be successful and, and make it grow. Right. And they, they would never, you know, in, in the instance of Vegas, you know, Buddy and Kelly, they're worried about those guys making money and why are they doing this? And they're all just worried about it. Right. And I'm like, shut up, let's go down there and race and have some fun and do something different, you know, get out of high river or <laughs> Dawson Creek. Let's go to Vegas. Like, come on, you know, yeah, so. make it NASCAR. Well, and it's, it's funny you mentioned NASCAR because the guy we had on the show last Jeff Hammond is a former crew chief, like won the Daytona 500. And he talked about chuck wagon racing and being a fan, which was pretty interesting. He said, well, we might have to get you guys hooked up because he talked about how he thought that he could uh, speed up a, a, a wagon. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't I, know what that would look like, but it might I have some ideas. I have some ideas. I, I maybe have the backing financially to do it. I just need to find somebody that has the technology. So yeah, he's a guy, he's a legend, man. He might have some ideas. I don't know. Uh, One thing I was wondering, like talking about all this stuff, like why, why has, like, why has Chuck Wagon Race never taken off in the U S like, why is there, is just like, nobody's been doing it or just like a Canadian thing or like, what, like, why are we not, we don't see more of it down there. I think it's solely based on the fact that somebody doesn't own the sport um sure. we're like one step above a carney uh and i i always you know we have tents on our liners where they're turned into barns for the horses and we set up and jump from town to town and you know we think we shouldn't have to work all year and we you know like a lot of wagon drivers think they should be able to survive off a of wagon racing and not have to do anything else for the rest of the year and that's just not the case. Right. So, and then it comes back to the politics and uh, you know, there's a board of directors and then there's driver directors and then there's all these people making decisions and every year they're changing rules and tweaking stuff or changing the format of the wagon racing. And, and a lot of it's relevant because sport of wagon racing is like 70 years old and it's been all done three or four times over and you guys keep switching the same thing back and forth, back and forth, you know, the the biggest thing that like any sport rodeo wagons nascar it's money it's entertainment it's sponsorship and it's typically a good economy that supports it right so um get away from 
trying to change the format to attract spectators and make it bigger go to you know if you had three county fairs in the fall that we could go to that had racetracks i think it would be pretty successful because the people there are farm you know ranch rodeo related people and i think with you know the first night of racing you know the stands might be half full or quarter full but if we get to the fourth night i bet you it's packed and they're going to be asking for it to come back one of the cool things i i think about truck wagon racing is is you you don't it's so simple in a sense that it's just a race of four wagons like someone's going to win every time so it's easy for folks who aren't like directly western people to to be a fan of it that's like like living in calgary i've lived in the city now for the past like six years and that's why people love the stampede truck wagon racing is because jimmy who works for trans canada downtown can wander down the truck wagons with his buddies and bet toonies all night and they know what's going to happen where i think that's where rodeo kind of lacks it's a lot harder to follow if you're not like a full-time fan whereas being a part-time wagon fan you can still understand what's going on yeah there's the you know the 10 names that are familiar and there's maybe yeah. the bottom guys that kind of switch in and out but for the most part it's the uh there's kind of a, a camaraderie around wagons and and once you get a sponsorship or a few different sponsors and it becomes your team and like your pit crew and mm-hmm. and uh you know they come back to the barns and then they get to see the horses and drink some beer and get some shit on their boots and you know just kind of live the life and then part you of it yeah get some guys that they want to come help you they don't want to go sit in the grandstand hey can we come and like walk a horse help mm-hmm. cool a horse out or, or can we come clean stalls in the morning and you're like yeah how about her like we <laughs> yeah, started sure. at 30 and then they're usually hung over puking in the stall but they show up boy <laughs> well, it, it was pretty cool because like would have been what was it 2019 teddy the pause bond foundation or pbr had bought a chuck wagon I think 18. 2019, 18 or 19. But so that was like kind of my first experience hanging out in that scenario on the, like on like being able to be as a sponsor, like in that, in that area. And it was really cool. Like there's so much hospitality around it. And like the one thing that you have kudos to the wagon drivers, you guys do a really good job of including everybody making them feel part of like, like you say, giving the opportunities to like lead a horse or even just sit, yeah. sit and have a bullshit and a beer with somebody like that goes such a long way, especially with the, again, especially with those folks who aren't Western people, like who are like, it's so cool because they don't get to do it every day. So it's kind of, it makes them feel special by being able to interact and hang out and be like in the action. Especially if you can get them down with their kids and their family and it becomes a, an experience that the kids remember and talk about, you know, like we all enjoy going to a hockey game, but if you give a kid a carrot and let them feed it to a horse and maybe get in there and let them brush it and, you know, whatever. Right. And they're, and they're city kids and they've never done it before. I think that sticks a little bit more than going to the hockey game and eating a hot dog type of thing. But, um, you know, it, it's a true spectator sport. It, it's adrenaline base. It's speed, uh, in a way, you know, nobody likes to see crashing and banging and, and any injuries, whether it's to horse or to man, but, um, it's action. Uh, you know, people go to NASCAR, what do they want to see? Or they're open to see, they want to see somebody pile up. You know, Same as the bull rider, those people get wrecked out. Yeah, you know, and you know they want to see the guy get up and wave to the crowd after, but mm-hmm. they want to see fenders flying or, or some snot flying, and you know, <laughs> yeah. you know that type of thing, right? So, I think one thing that gets really overlooked though, too, and and maybe from like the non-Western crowd where Weg gets a bad rap is like you guys actually you guys truly care about your horses and the safety of it and the safety of other drivers and stuff. You're not just going out there and being reckless and 
run four wagons down the track and being like yeah. wild but you you like there's a there's a method to the madness and you guys truly care about give a shit about your animals without them you have nothing right yeah yeah so like i guess an analogy i like to use is like you get a johnny goudreau or a, or a mcdavid and if it if that's a horse and that horse gets hurt like those are harder impossible to replace right so um they're like our kids you know i got 25 kids this spring that i'm training i've got them on a nutrition program i got them on a fitness program and i'm you know putting them in the barn and and got them you know a vet that takes care of them if there's any issues or if they need any maintenance or help or whatever right so um you know when you have a group of superstars you're competitive and something happens and you know say a heart attack and just like a human heart attacks are unpredictable they could happen in the pasture they could happen to me while i'm having a shower and i'm done right or could happen in the race and it's terrible but uh the reality of the sport is you know people die horses die and it's not what we want but we try to you know take the precautions by pre-vet inspections and fitness and making sure horses are ready to go and, and we, we never um hook or race a horse that has the potential of you know being injured prior to going out because we want to be successful right so anyways there's there's a lot of um there's a group of people tree huggers you know that really drive the sport down into the ground or try to um i guess my hope and prayer is that a lot of the shows and I think Pinocchio is probably the best at it is they're proud of their heritage. They're, they know um, what they like and what their people like, and, and they're proud to host it and they don't entertain anybody else. Um, you know, they, they're a group of people that can't be educated, can't be convinced, you know, so you just, you just try to do your best, keep a clean, sharp looking outfit, happy horses and happy family and just get down the road and put on a good show. Right. You, you mentioned uh, getting back in this last year and I'm just thinking about having 25 horses and you know, you probably still got, yeah, you still got, probably got some of the gear, but it's kind of a two, two, uh, two or three parts here. But like, I got to guess that the investment buying somebody else probably got to be like tw- even 25 horses by 10 grand each is 250,000. Like you're a couple, you're a few hundred thousand dollars into this thing, buying, buying BJ out and getting going. And you know, you can, like you're starting you're not, from scratch in the in the process, right? You don't even guarantee to go to Pinoca. Yeah, she's yeah. tough. So yeah, it's a it's a gamble. I you know I called my parents and talked to my mom, and my mom's like, oh, I figured you had some unfinished business. And then my dad, he's like, you're retarded. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, you know, all in good humor. You, you look back and you're man, it was a lot of work and hopefully I can keep up to it or I can perform, you know, I get that work done and, you know, I've, I'm in better shape probably than I've ever been in the last 10, 12 years. And uh, that, that helps. And you're making a lot of miles out there walking around, catching horses, driving, harnessing, moving feed, whatever. Right. And, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's an investment. It's a risk. It's a, but you know, I, kind of woke up one day and was like, might as well do what you love. Cause one day you might wake up dead and you never did it. Right. So go do it. Um, kind of got a five-year plan, let it roll and see what happens. And, 
And then, yeah, just, I don't know. I got some young kids, so if they get an opportunity to grow up like I did. I think a little bit of work ethic and that social skills, it's a good investment. And if we can have a little fun in the time, time being, then perfect. Right. Uh, so going, going further into that, uh, you, you've got all the horses you've got, I think I got to ask about, uh, the sponsor side of things here for a bit and just give us a little bit of info on that and who you got riding with you this year that way. For your interns. Um, so yeah, like, well, we'll just start with Grand Prairie is the first show. Um, I talked to Cole Withers. Uh, he has central oil field hauling. Uh, his dad was Neil Withers, he, uh, uh, Withers trucking back in the day. So I think he had sold in the early 2000s, somewhere there. Um, and then Cole set up a business. Um, anyways, he was doing good. He's, you know, he's got probably 30, 40 trucks. He moves rigs and oil field service stuff and, you know, cats, hose, anything kind of bigger iron like that, specialized oil field hauling. Um, it was funny how happened and how it worked out but he called around looking for a couple sponsors for other guys and just trying to help other guys out and then we got to the tarsel and he was joking he's like you know what let's keep these guys for us and we'll put a group together so then as the sale started i was like the last one on the list and um anyhow they they got drinking and they're joking they're having fun they're like, you know what we need? We need publicity. We need to be the highest bidder at the sale. So these guys are sitting at the same table and I didn't know this was going on. So I get up on stage. Well, they had split in the room and they're bidding against each other to drive the price up just for, and like, you know, they got a few drinks in and they're having fun. And anyways, we end up being high seller and they're all happy and high-fiving each other. And I, at the time, I really wasn't sure what was going on, but you no, know, you're thankful, right? Cause that's all the support that they give you and um the, the third so the second group is uh kdak energy they're based out of grand prairie and they're uh like an oil field fabricating company and uh, maintenance company they do some integrity digs and pipelining and they build mods and so all the piping and the valve setups and the plants basically that's what you know they build and, and engineer and then uh max fuel is uh basically a big the big Petra pass up in, in Grand Prairie as well. So that's their, their trio. They're going to set up a tent and do some barbecuing and they bring some clients down to the barns and have some drinks, have some fun. And that's basically the group for Grand Prairie. And, and, and I think, I think what's going to happen is they're going to do Dawson Creek as well. So that's kind of got the North covered. Um, and from there we come to Bonneville. Um, so my cousin uh, and his partners, they have three locations, uh, they're accountants, suit and tie, but he grew up helping grandpa out in a bit. And um, yeah, they're going to be my sponsor for Bonneville. So that's kind of nice. It'll be kind of a family affair. And uh, my official retirement kind of race weekend was in Bonneville. Um, I'd sold out in Calgary. And then when I come to Bonneville, Kirk Sutherland and, and Mitch Sutherland, they just lent me some horses to race for the weekend. And they did a big, big to do there for me. And so anyways, I kind of, better have my hammer cocked and do good in my home, my hometown. Right. So, and then from there we go down uh, to medicine hat. Uh, same thing, kind of a group of guys that sponsored me my last year and tornado projects and guys that I'd worked with in the oil patch actually. And I called them and it was like, 
yeah, we're super busy. Whatever you need, just let us know. We're going to do it. I'm like, okay, perfect. So, you know, and then we kind of bounce around High River Strathmore. I think it's going to be uh, Highwood Distillers. We're still negotiating. So if they're listening, hopefully, you know, a little shout out. <laughs> so that, that relationship actually goes back to my first year on the tour. And that's like going on 25 years, I guess, of, you know, running their tarp and doing stuff like social media wise. We went and uh, had a tour of their distillery and ate some jello shots and drank some whiskey out of their whiskey warehouse and stuff like that. Just, it was kind of fun. Right. And um, I don't know, just old, old sponsors that and people you've stayed in touch with and they, they, they've enjoyed it. So they just continue to kind of team up with you and carry on. Right. I was just going to go back to uh, the Grand Prairie being the high selling tarp. And that's like your first race back. How much, how much pressure is on you to do good in your first one back being the high selling? Yeah. There, there's and, what was, and what was the reception from the other guys? Like you've been out of the game for a while now and then you just roll back on the scene. And you're the high selling tarp at the, at the auction. I think a lot of them are used to my antics, I guess. And, <laughs> um, I, I'm sure you got to understand with Grand Prairie, you know, there's the Sutherlands and then um, there's a lot of wagon drivers up there, right? You know, Huey Sinclair, he's retired now and guys from all around there that have, it's kind of probably the, I want to say the wagon capital of, of Alberta. They love it. And they, the people love it there, man. Like I worked TP Creek last year and it's people love the wagons more than the rodeo. And even like when we did Grand Prairie a few years ago, Teddy and I, like they fucking love it, which is like, it's, it's awesome. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of come into somebody else's stomping grounds and wrangled up <laughs> their own backyard sponsors and ended up being the high seller. So, but that's to the help of, you know, coal and cinch oil field and just kind of getting a group of people together. Do you have to pay a, a, a cut to the uh, Sutherland mafia? We didn't even cross that, uh, <laughs> the, the river there. What's the big bridge there? Just outside Peace. of Grand Prairie. Yeah. Peace the, river? Peace River. As soon is that, as is it Dunbag, that, Dunbagen or whatever it's called? Dunbagen Valley? Is that the one you're thinking of? North. In the north? Is that north? Okay. That's north. Wrong yeah, I don't know. It's a oh, mean river. Wrong spot. Yeah, it's a mean climb with a liner load of horses when you come out of the bottom of that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you, uh, oh, where was it going to go? Oh, wait, I'm just going to throw a word out there uh, for Wacy here, and you can go with it as you wish. But uh, what are you talking about? Yeah, we, we, uh, we created a term. I don't know if it's been... Up before, but we, we were driving through grand prairie through the uh wagon barns we, and and wacy and i i don't know who came up with it but we called it chucklandia for a while we weren't so we weren't so sure but wacy you might have to de- describe to ray what your thoughts oh, were. it was it's actually the the you described it already ray when you mentioned like how you guys are kind of like carnies just you have yeah. your like your tent trailer set up and stuff which is which is funny <laughs> and then it just like they were just driving through and like everybody just like looking at us it just kind of had like hills have eyes vibe of like chucklandia just so, yeah. yeah you're <laughs> right because makes me laugh you know, honestly the the it's kind of a tight family back there so if there's trucks cruising around that people don't know they're kind of like looking like who's that or there's a shirt there's shirtless kids running around with missing yeah. D just staring you down it's like i'm i'm here. just in their Shake diapers or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, laying in a puddle just drinking what, i just, just live it yeah just living yeah <laughs> so funny Oh, that, that was, that was, and every day it was the same thing. We drive the truck to the same, same road, same area. And we just get this, we just be staring at down every time. It's like a, yeah. a daily trip through Chuckle India. That yeah, was one of two things. Those guys are lost 
or they're going to steal something tonight when we go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I didn't, we were, I didn't think we were like out of, out of place, rough looking. But yeah. Very, yeah. Um, but what was it? Oh, then we, the only, uh, we didn't know very many folks, but then Wacy, you played with Timbo and he was sitting there with his shirt off, just hanging out. Like yeah. It's my buddy, my buddy, Tim Martin works for Jason glass a lot. Yeah. Um, he's a big, and you, if you know him, he's to see him He's like six foot eight, like shredded. Oh, yeah. 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 I, but he's like the most unbelievable guy. Super nice. Like he's a big teddy bear, but he, we, it was funny at stampede one year, he was cruising around in the barns with his shirt off. And one of our buddies mm-hmm. got a picture of him. I was like, yeah, I know that guy's an absolute he's weapon. Yeah, he's yeah. he's shredded. I mean, he fits right in Chuck Landy, old Timmy. Just <laughs> <laughs> that big Amazon man that's yeah towers over everybody. Yeah, he's bodyguard. Yeah, he's good. I was gonna. I gotta ask, like, what are you most looking forward to getting back? Uh, getting back at it, Ray. Like and and I, second I guess, part too. I can add to your question because it's kind of the same okay. track here. So add to it, but then like after like getting back to it's part of it. But like, did you get bored fishing and hanging out and you know doing other shit? Like you're like this is cool. Like camping and hanging out, but like, I miss, I miss wagon. I miss, I miss driving. I miss Chucklandia. Yeah. Like, I guess yeah, for me, it takes too long to get good at something anymore. So I, you know, I team roped on and off. I team roped as a kid quite a bit till I was probably 14 or 15 at my grandpa's riding arena. Then we got our own riding arena. I got back roping and, you know, spent four or five years at that. And I, you know, I was hit and miss or this and that, whatever, but just never replaced it right never found that fix or that i don't know whatever passion, passion, is. Never yeah I, I golf. yeah couldn't yeah i just couldn't replace it i couldn't find something and and then i guess that's an addiction or that's a another problem that i'll have to deal with maybe again later <laughs> in my life but uh <laughs> it's probably just as cheap to do coke as run a wagon but anyways <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of right you're not right <laughs> one of my other jokes is uh you know either your carney or the cost of wagon racing but anyways um yeah it's just some um, the lifestyle uh it's like ranching or farming it's, you can't uh i don't know you can't replace it well and so like building off that a little bit what are some of your goals heading into this new, the new season that like you got a new, new outfit got some money with your tarp auction selling and some big events coming and, and some stuff on the line, like being able to get into Pinocchio and those bigger shows. So kind of what are what are the goals for 2022? There's only one goal and it's consistency. That's it. If you're consistent, the rest will fall into place. Um, you know, you, you gotta be smart. There's the, I don't, and wagon drivers kind of cringe when I say this, but the competition isn't as tough as it was when I raced, you know, 15, when it kind of in the middle of my career it was really tough, right? Like there's Neil Walgenbaugh, Jerry Bremner, Reg Johnstone, Hugh Sinclair, Grand Prophet, uh, Kelly Sutherland's gone now. Um, you know, Kirk is kind of on his way out. This is his last year too. Um, there's guys that have been tough and that's who I grew up around. And, and, you know, and that being said, there's guys that are tough now that weren't tough then and they've kind of replaced them. But the depth isn't there as much anymore. So um, I guess it's kind of a rebuild in a whole as a sport. Cause there's new young kids coming up, you know, tough Drager, Cruz Benzmiller guys that are, you know, tough, tough as, as Kelly Sutherland's grandson. Right. So he's awesome. I met him in TPP. Yeah. He's an unreal kid. Those, those two kids are like true gentlemen to the sport. And that's mm-hmm. what's going to save the sport and take it to the next level. And I'm, 
maybe just kind of happy to be a part of it, but I want them to learn how I learned. And they know the sports changed a bit from when I got tough and I was, you know, 22, 23 years old and you get hooked with Reg and Kelly and, and those guys, there's inches and you, you, you raced with inches in between you. And, you know, those are the bump and grind days and the kind of the battle it out. And then, you know, Calgary kind of got a hold of the rules and didn't want us to be, so competitive and so you know you know trying to just make it safer which i understand and and uh everybody's kind of adapted to and we run a little bit you know two feet in between us now and and a little bit off the rail and we're not squeezing guys in in a hole or you know down on the rail and stuff like that so i i struggled with the change i'm probably the first to admit it because i i like running tough i like bumping and grinding and i had a thing it was funny me and kelly had a thing and we were fierce competitors and you know i i always wanted to be as good and consistent as him and and uh anyways it's just something about when we got hooked together you knew spokes were gonna fly or, or we were we were gonna battle it out right so um but uh the new group of kids coming up they're they've got generations you know three or four generations in behind them that they've grew up watching and learning from so they're like they're eight pegs above you know a lot of kids that are starting right or the pony wagon drivers that are coming over and starting so it's gonna be good at um the you know the sport's gonna gonna stay consistent i think it's gonna grow the next few years if the economy can you know stay where it's at with oil and gas that's kind of what really fuels us um when there's a little bit of that play money around you know, the oil boys like to go out and get a wagon and, and, you know, race and be competitive and buy some horses and really kind of, they get addicted to it. So, um, I see that coming and happening. You just need our governments to, you know, kind of push the economy to grow versus what they've been doing the last couple of years with COVID and everything. Yeah. I got a couple of things before we wrap it up. I don't want to keep you too long here this evening, but, uh, um, you mentioned Calgary, Let's get right to it. What do you, uh, I, I know I heard different things about what there might've been issue with there at some point. I don't know. I don't know what the story was. You can go into it or not, but we got to talk about the three wagons this year and the 27 guys instead of 36 a little bit, you can take it as you want, but, uh, you know, what do you, what do you got to say there? Yeah. It's kind of like phase two of them reducing the risk. I want to say, and, and I understand, and a lot of people don't like change and I didn't like change when they got rid of the four L riders. Cause you know, there was just something about watching a four wagon race with four L riders behind every wagon. It, you know, it, it was like a, a wall of ants coming out of a, you know, out of the infield. It just horses everywhere. It's guys everywhere. And you had to be good. You had to be competitive and tough. And so they, they went down to two L riders. Um, and then this is kind of stage two of, of them, basically reducing the amount of horses on the track will reduce the risk of any injuries or any, you know, so they've went from 36 guys to 27. Um, it It's going to be tough to be entertaining on that big track because like three, they don't realize what a three wagon race is and there's not many shows that are three wagon races for us anymore, but it, you know, the guys on barrel one and two, they're going to turn really hard and they're going to compete right to the finish line. And the guy on barrel three is going to tuck and follow. And it's going to be that race, every race for nine races for 10 nights. And that's all you're going to see, you know, where, 
in a traditional four wagon race. Typically the guy on barrel four, he's going to try to shoot for the engine and no turn everybody. 50% of the time he'll get them. And then barrel one and two are always right there. And then barrel three, he usually tucks in behind. He sits and waits till the, the home stretch and then he'll make a run at them. So a lot of times there's always four wagons at the finish line or three for sure. And it's just taken 25% of the action out of the race. And, and for Calgary, the big event and the big, you know, for the broadcast team even, and, and the stuff that is going to entertain the crowd, it's just, it's not there as much, but I, I'm, you know, it, it might fool me. Right. But um, why three wagon races just aren't as entertaining, but you know, that's the route they wanted to go. And I think, you know, they're, they'll put a show on like they always do. And there's good prize money there. And they had a successful tarp sale. And, um, you know, everybody's still, I still want to run at the Calgary Stampede. I love, because I grew up there. There's so many memories. And then the, there's just something about rolling onto that track and, and this, you know, the, the grandstand and the stadium, how it's all set up. And, you know, it just gets your, gets you going, like it's something to live for. Right. So that's where everybody wants to go. They want to be on TV and get the big sponsors. And I don't know, I just spent 30 years there and, you know, you still, still want to be there. Right. So, but it goes back to what I said is people struggle with change and, and we, as wagon drivers, we, we know what wagon racing is and we struggle with it, but we're willing to continue on because we want the sport to be successful and we want to be able to continue to do it. So the, uh, you also had to, Correct me if I'm wrong, but you had to pay some fines for you to be able to even come back. Is that true? Yeah. Oh was... yeah. Yeah. So when I retired and left Calgary, I'd, I'd, uh, well, I'll put a big write up in the, in the newspaper and basically kind of called Calgary out and told them the changes that they were doing weren't for the best. And, um, anyhow, the, all the stuff that I had talked about has happened since, and I was right. And it cost me a little bit of money. <laughs> um, but I never, at the time I did it cause I never thought I was going to come back. So yeah, I had some fines. There's a little bit of money to, and some crow to eat, you know, to get back in, um, to be a outstanding member, I guess, again, and is what it is. But, uh, my point, was made and and a lot of the wagon drivers well majority of them agreed with me just you can't voice your opinion uh to that crowd because you kind of get blackballed so uh, i did and i i took the beating and you know i always tried to stand up for the sport and stand up for the guys and tried to get it to grow and tried to have our own thing right and um people just they there there's enough wagon drivers that they can never agree on anything so that's kind of the second biggest thing that's holding them back is they can never come together as a group right so it's no different than all the bull riders in canada or you know or all the you know rodeo as a whole they they want this this one you know these guys want that the barrel racers wanted a foot deep and you know the stock contractors want it kind of hard because their horses buck better and you know anyways you can't you guys you guys need it hard to be able to turn and get a little bit of slide on the on the on the ground like you can't have a deep you can't have a deep it'll it'll fuck things up pretty royally 
Yeah, and, and wagons have a tendency if it gets too deep to just dig in and they flip over versus you know yeah. snapping around the top barrel, right? So a little bit of it's a, a safety hazard and and it's easier driving when the infield's a little tighter. Uh, like you said, the wagon, you know, your horses can get going quicker. Your wagon will slide around the top and, you know, it just makes a nice smoother turn, right? It's easier driving. You've got momentum and you don't have to go as far past the barrel because, you know, with, if your wagon's going to swing around the barrel, you can turn it tighter, right? Your horse is going to be tighter. So yeah. it's all about seconds or even 10 one hundreds when it comes to any kind of race. So uh, you're talking about flipping a wagon, like you got to have some wrecks that shits went sideways out there. Might want to tell yeah. people about. Yeah. Uh, one year in Dawson Creek, I fell out of the wagon around the top barrel. Uh, the two barrel. Honestly, I'm not really sure what happened. It just kind of happened really quick and I was in the dirt and my wagon was going to the track and then Chance Vegan jumped in my wagon um, after the race and he was out riding at the time and he crawled out, jumped off his horse onto the hoops and crawled in through the back and gathered up the reins and pulled them up. So basically saved, saved those horses lives, you know, cause they could have crashed in the fence or piled up or something. Right. And um, there's, there's the odd training incident, nothing really that bad, but um, a lot of the more elite drivers, I guess they've been through it so many times that, they they see it coming long before it happens and they can get things under control or or the way they train and break horses they never really have to deal with it because i don't know they're just more focused they have a good routine they have a good program and they buy you know good quality horses that maybe are bred a little bit better and they have a mind on them where they want to work for you versus you know the frying pan horses that they just it's a it's just a rodeo or a wreck really right so you said he, he jumped in the back. Like, I'm just trying to picture that and feel how that would even work on the back of a horse. Like how the hell does he get in the wagon? I thought he would have jumped in on the, like up by the front wheel and had kind of jumped right on the box there. But you said he went in the back. Like how do you even get yeah, in? Yeah, it's actually, sideways? I've never done it. I, I don't know if I ever could really do it. I'm kind of a bigger guy, but um, <clears throat> basically you're right up beside the back wheel and you just reach over and kind of just like a steer wrestler you're reaching for the horns but you reach for those hoops and you get a hold of them hoops and then you just pull yourself off the off the horse and into the back it's it's one pretty smooth transition and there's a lot of there's only a few guys that ever do it right that are out there out riding and that and it, by rights that's the purpose of an outrider is for safety so they're out there to help you they get your wagon parked and stopped in the barrels and and they load the stove in the back, which is like the old school pack up camp, you know, kind of analogy. And then the race is on. Right. So um, I've had other issues too. I had a line caught. Uh, we we're racing in Lethbridge. This was probably oof, 2002, 2003. Anyways, had a line hooked and I couldn't turn them left which it you know when you go around the track there's four left hand turns right so i couldn't pull them down i as much as i had like two hands on on those lines i couldn't get them to come down and uh chance vegan again at the time he was riding for tyler helmig and he was going by me and i was having troubles and i was able to get his attention and and he figured out what was going on and he rode up and grabbed my lead team and actually held him down 
to the inside rail all the way around the track until after the race till we got them stopped otherwise like there was a few times going around the second turn where i was looking at the outside fence and i was trying to decide okay when am i going to hit the fence and when am i going to jump in the bottom of the box so the, a lot of times the safest spot is if you're going to wreck is to jump down in the bottom of the box and just lean up against the side of the box right and you're going to get bounced around but you're not a, actually going to get kind of catapulted out of the wagon right so i it was kind of slow motion but i those thoughts are going through your head and and I, i'd watched uh you know dallas dorchester in the late 90s or mid 90s he had he had a accident too and and uh, anyways in calgary and, and he had jumped down in the bottom of the box so as a kid you're watching how these old school boys you know protected themselves or, or went and got through different situations and stuck with me so you know the importance of outriders especially when you you shrink them down from four to two taking a part of your rescue team out on the track and you know guys that know how to get you out of a situation or if you do you know wreck and get in a pile there's help there to on the ground to get the horses up and and get them to safety right basically so that's kind of my um I guess conflict with it when they went from four to two, but, but everywhere, everywhere is two now. Is it not like, yeah, it is. Yeah. Right. Everywhere. We're we're close to probably 10 or 15 years. Yeah. And is that, uh, is that like, there's still eight guys out there for four wagons. Chances are you're not going to have all four getting a jam. So is it like, is eight sufficient or is it? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. It's just not as entertaining and fair enough. uh, it's old school. I like that stuff. Right. So that this last year, actually the, their, uh, Lloyd Minster put on a show, which is called the North American truck wagon championship. So NACC it's on during the same time as the Calgary stampede this year. Um, they, they did a reenactment. So they had, uh, Ray Mitzwing and, and Brian Labakin come out of retirement and, and they're in their seventies. And they, uh, we did the four outrider set up on both outfits and, and I, was actually asked to outride so i did and there was a bunch of old guys there <laughs> it was the geriatric race i made fun of everybody but um we all come out of retirement and threw the 10 pegs in the stove in and you know it's kind of kind of weird because there's kids that are like the good outriders now that you look kind of as a wagon driver you you hope to get and hope that they ride for you because they're really good right and they're at the fence they're like hey we're gonna watch this this is cool like we've never got to do this. And I'm like, you kind of forget, right? Like these kids are 22 and I've been around the sport longer than, you know, they've been alive. They've been alive. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not to date myself, but anyways, yeah. So it it was a a real crowd pleaser. And, and that was another reason the sport kind of sucked me back in. I, you know, I did the old foggy race and then uh, halfway through the NACC chance, was missing an outrider so he asked me to outride and i'm like oh like holy cow chance like i haven't rode in a competitive race for 15 years oh you'll be fine you'll be fine like get out there so okay whatever anyways rode a couple heats or rode for him and then all of a sudden a couple nights later i had three or four races and then um Ended up going down to Strathmore, which was a WPCA show. And I got in, I got in, I'm famous for getting in trouble, but anyways, 
I'm standing at the fence by the outriders and watching uh, the races and just, I was there helping chance flat again. And uh, Ryan McNeil, they call him mad dog. He comes off the track and he pulled his groin for the 45th time. <laughs> and I was bugging him cause he, every year he seems to pull his groin. So he's laying in the ground there and he, there's a bunch of kids that didn't have much experience holding leaders. And um, there wasn't very many outriders last summer because of COVID and it not knowing if uh, they were actually going to race. And anyhow, um, one of them piped up and said, Crotto, get your, get your shit on. Let's go. So I ended up got to ride for my cousin, like chance vegan. And uh, I got in trouble because I, I didn't have a, like I wasn't a member and I still had outstanding fines and all of a sudden here comes <laughs> Ray Crotto rolling out into the infield with his cowboy hat on and a whip in his pocket and he's holding leaders for his cousin on barrel one and and then yeah there's a big big fight that night or just a big conflict everybody because Chance had actually run day money that night like to be first but his other outrider was late and uh, you know I, I guess they didn't feel that I should have been out there i should have had a membership and should have paid my fines before i got out there but the way i looked at it was i was experienced i wasn't going to put a kid into a situation where you know maybe they didn't know know what they're doing or they're comfortable doing it and what if they were got hurt so whatever i wrap I, I had you know i made a good jump and rode a real nice old gritty horse and thank god i i looked amazing out there and <laughs> nobody <laughs> knew <any different. laughs> Huh. you should you should have told less to not say anything you might have got away with it well i think who noticed it was uh billy melville because oh, I oh billy yeah old billy uh, had my my old race hat on and and i kind of went up to the buck and shoots and parked by uh norm norm and judy cuthbertson were sitting on the one of the buck and shoots they're watching the races and i rode up there and they were kind of looking at me like i was on glue or something but anyways i yeah got to get out there and show them how it's done and knock on wood the old the old fart didn't screw up and made her out of there and caught a fast way so so uh um i guess better well one more thing so i remember hearing a story about curtis glencross signing his uh big contract with the flames at the pinocchio stampede and i think you yeah. can uh, tell us a bit more about that and about your guys' friendship over the years. And we see him in the wagon box during the, during Calgary before and a number like Pinocchio, Strathmore, a number of the different spots, but tell us about Glennie a little bit in that, uh, that, that July 1st UFA deal uh, in Pinocchio. Yeah. So there's actually a couple funny stories with me and him and Pinocchio stampede. I don't know what it is with that place, but <laughs> I'll just start with the contract. Um, I'd had a terrible Pinocchio stampede and, and, I was some sour and he's like, Hey, like, you know, races are over. We raced in the afternoon. Like the finals were in the afternoon for the wagons. Right. So he's like, okay, we need to run to the rodeo office. They're going to send my contract fax it there. And uh, they're going to print it off. And then we got to sign it. You got to be my witness. I'm like, can we do this tomorrow? Like I'm in a shitty mood. I'm sitting here on the ramp doing chores and drinking a beer. He's like, no, no, like this has to be done right now. So, oh, fuck. Okay, whatever. Get on the quad, rip to the rodeo office. Then all of a sudden it starts to clue in, right? Like, I'm like, okay, this is like a five or six year deal for three and a half million dollars a year. 
and I get to be the witness. Like, well, that's, that's kind of cool, you know, like, <laughs> and I'm thinking like, man, Ray, you're such a jackass. You didn't even want to come and do it. Like <laughs> unreal. Right. So, so yeah, I got a picture holding his contract up and I got my signature on there. And it was, ah, it was good, good experience and able to celebrate with him. He spent a lot of time. Um, so I met him through uh, the Christensen. So uh, Cam Christensen, they're from Drumheller and they, uh, they own Canalta hotels and they own a bunch of A&Ws. They own a couple. Austin Pizza. Yeah. They're also, they're also partners with uh, Dustin Edwards on Barney's Adventure Park. Really? Yeah. 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 Like they are entrepreneurs and, and at the time they were my sponsor for the Calgary Stampede. And so they were, uh, it was Ramada Inn and Suites. They were uh, a partner in for, I think, Western Canada and they'd put all the locations in and each location had a night and, and uh, that's where I met Curtis. So one of the nights uh, Blair Christensen had brought a bunch of buddies down. Like there's probably 25 of these guys that were, you know, 21 years old and, ready to rip and roar and party and and uh, Curtis was there that night so I didn't I actually didn't really remember meeting him and then uh, a couple of weeks later he showed up in Strathmore and and he had one of his buddies there that he played hockey with Coutsy he, he's from well they both played in uh, Brooks. Uh, Brooks yeah so Brooks was his or Coutsy was his uh, protector I guess anyhow they showed up in Strathmore. We hung out a bit and got to know each other a little bit more. And then the following weekend, so I won Strathmore the following weekend, we went to Drumheller and uh, we were kind of batching that weekend. So we'd partied like we were in grade 11 and went to the dance and ended up winning that show too. So from there on, he figured he was my lucky, my lucky charm. And he was, he come to a lot of wagon races, right. And, and you know, he's the time he's playing for uh, Syracuse crunch and he's, you know, trying to make it to the NHL and then he got drafted or didn't get drafted, got signed by Anaheim and got called up and then um, played a few games there. And that was, a, uh, I think it was a lockout year. So um, him and Getzlaff and Perry were on the line and um, those two were feeding it to Kurt and Kurt had more points than Getzlaff and Perry in, in the preseason games. And then they, and they got locked out, but, you know, they played on the line together and that's pretty easy to play with those two guys. And um, so then Curtis got sent back down um, after the lockout got called up again. And then from there they traded him to Columbus. So we had went down and seen him in Columbus and, and toured around and watched a few games. And it was kind of our winter ritual was wherever he was playing, we'd maybe pick a different city or, or go to, you know, Calgary or Edmonton or, or Columbus or wherever he was. And, you know, spend a few days, watch a couple games and then tour around. Right. So, um, one year during the, uh, Olympic or all-star break, he had flown up to Edmonton and come to Bonneville because we had this charity wagon drivers versus the radio people to kind of promote truck wagon racing in Bonneville. So he showed up and dropped the puck and we partied all weekend. And, and then he, uh, we were bugging him and we're, you're going to get traded to the Oilers. And he's like, not a chance. I'm never coming to the Oilers. And a no shit, like February, whatever it was, he calls me and he's like, guess what? I'm like, what? I got traded. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like where? To the Edmonton Oilers. So it was like <laughs> all within a month, he was all of a sudden moving back to Alberta and played for the Oilers. And he 
Um, yeah, I played uh, with Startini and uh, oh crap, another kid from St. Paul. Anyways, they they made Startini look good, and they were the best fourth line in hockey. And he pumped a bunch of goals on the Flames that year. And then the next year, he I think he got signed for just one year at Calgary, and then signed a long term contract. And um, yeah, we've been good buddies, you know, ever since. And um, one more story for Pinocchio. So th this is kind of before, I think it was a year we signed his big contract. Anyways, we he'd bought this fancy uh razor side-by-side -side players thing and and it'd go mock chicken right and we're ripping around and i'm driving he's riding passenger and i have this brainwave idea that i can go up this dirt hill and like go side hill this side of this dirt hill and then come right back down and it didn't work out so good so we went up and then we rolled this machine over oh, no. and i landed on him and so we, we crawl out of there. We're like laughing and I'm like, Oh my God, I like wrecked your new machine here. This thing's, you know, 25 grand or whatever. And it, it wasn't wrecked, but he stands up and he looks at me and he has a little trickle of blood coming down just from the edge of his ear. Right. So I'm like, and he's like, what? And he goes like this and he pulls it. Well, you can see all the guitar strings and tendons and you know, it, oh, no. it had ripped. And I'm like, ah, yeah, don't do that. And he's like, what? I'm like, Oh, you got just a little cut right there. He's like, what are you talking about? Well, we, me and him were both deathly scared of his mom, Robin. Right. Uh -oh. So we proceed to go back to the camper and he's like, nobody can find out about this. Like my fucking mother will kill us. So I said, okay. So we go back and then his brother-in-law, Kelsey, we, we found a tube of super glue and we just glued his ear back <laughs> where it was supposed to be and washed it up and, she never found out. So no way. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. We were all scared of Robin. <laughs> Holy. <laughs> um, okay. We got, I got one more thing. Um, we got, I gotta, you gotta explain to folks what it's like uh, to drive a wagon. Like, and, and, and Wacey and I haven't been in one yet and been like really seen it. And, um, I'm curious sometime. I know you sold one at an auction actually. So my, my friend, uh, Riley Jones, uh called me yesterday and said we you guys should get ray on the show and then i'm like that's a fucking good idea it's been a long time we've i think we've talked about it before i just never got it done and I, you've been on my list for a long time but i was like that's a fucking good idea so so i sent you a message and we got her lined up but but uh you, you sent you so uh riley's mom put on a, a barrel race a fundraiser for als and you you put a, a ride in the chuck wagon in the race so uh but so you got to tell folks what it's like and, and i i got to see it someday like i don't know yeah, like honestly, if you guys are ever around wherever we are and just come find me or let me know before and I'll say, you know, like if you're there for the weekend, there'll be a morning where we're going to hook and practice or train some new ones or, you know, some, they got to be exercised if they're not in a race, right? So, um, but if, for somebody that's not cowboy and from the city, like your, your senses are on high alert because there's noises and things are moving and rattling and you can feel it from your toes up through your ankles into your knees into your whole body right because you're in a wooden wagon that you know you'd think is kind of you know 100 wheel might old. fall off yeah like like what well, this thing's made out of wood you know why are we out here going 60 kilometers an hour right so oh yeah um yeah there it's it's impressive to be honest if and you probably need to do it a couple times to really 
you know, the first time can be overwhelming. It's kind of like skydiving. And then the second time is where you open your eyes and you kind of absorb it. Right. And, and pay attention to stuff. And, um, but yeah, the, just the power of, of four thoroughbred horses and their, the, I get determination to, to do what they love and that's run. And, and especially if you get to go in an outfit that really works and really turns and you get that feeling from the barrels, that's the funnest part. Once you hit the track, you know, a lot of the strategy is pretty basic in a race. So, um, but yeah, she was, she was, you know, and I, I love donating stuff like this and it's an experience that people remember their whole life, but I'm kind of on edge too. when I do it because things can happen, right? So there's a potential you might get hurt. Uh, there's a potential a horse might get hurt. You know, you just got to know this stuff and, um, but the odds are very low just know that there is an odd and for some reason whenever you take a sponsor or a fan or somebody for a wagon ride that's always when it happens so <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why but that's just when it happens so yeah it, it it's a it's a good feeling i don't know it's just something especially if you can get up in the wagon seat and and, and be you know where the mud's hitting you in the face and i don't know it's just the whole experience yeah, the energy coming through the lines and, and uh, you know, if that uh, you've, you've spent so much time, especially for a wagon driver, you spend so much, so much time with these horses and when they finally click and they perform perfect and you, you know, you, you beat the guys you're hooked against or you're that top time on the night, you know, that sense of satisfaction or completion or I don't know what it is, but it just makes you feel whole and makes you, you know, you're successful right and anybody wants to be successful in life doesn't matter what you do so if that's how i get it or how somebody else gets it in a day job and moving up the ladder then same thing right but what's the what's the uh start like uh, that's gotta be a pretty it's a pretty quick acceleration but you're also making the turns and then you really can whip around the the second you know the bottom barrel getting on the track like that's probably the yeah <clears throat> so if if there are people riding with me i tell them to lean on the hoops like just basically lean against the hoops because you're leaning ahead just standing there and those horses really punch it they're gonna throw you back into the hoops and you're gonna like hit them right so fall down just basically brace yourself and when you go to the top and we turn right whichever direction we're turning lean that direction because you want the weight on the inside um and then just enjoy it and stick your head out and look over the driver and get hit in the face with some dirt and i don't know yeah just look down at the wheels you know different stuff right dang well i'll be i'll be in grand prairie pinoca and strathmore for sure and not sure where else but i'll be there the whole time with all those ones okay well we'll have to get you and a gopro or something and go oh, for yeah. Yeah. i think wacy you'll be in uh you'll be in pinoca probably a day well, i think what we need to do is just get together and do like a, like a whole like day in the life of a wagon driver, like vlog style thing and just kind of walk. Cause a lot of people, like, that's the biggest thing. A lot of people don't know and they don't have access to it. And if we, we have a platform that we can show some people like how it all works. And then if you cap it off with an actual ride in the wagon, I think it's good. Like cherry on top. Oh, absolutely. And that's yeah, so we, we do that. Penelope, one of these, these, these shows where we'll be, both be at. And I think we can do a really fun job of it. Sure. Somewhere. No. Probably not GP. Let's wait. Let's wait till you get a few. Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, it's fine for Pinocchio's the place to do it. Where's the trust? Where's the trust? I I mean, like, not that I don't trust you. I'm just, 
you know, you probably yeah, want to yeah. get, you probably want to shake the cobwebs out a little first. But There's already enough pressure on you in Pinocchio or yeah, in we don't Grand Prairie as it is. You already got the highest selling tarp, so. Well, yeah. Pinocchio's, Pinocchio could be a big one and Strathmore is later in the season. So I probably got a point on Strathmore or something, but anyways. Yeah, it, morning, it, it regardless, it'll be in the morning and, you know, it, we kind of have a routine and nothing really frazzles me, you know, like we'll be sitting in the barn and I, I was kind of lucky because you'd get a bunch of the cowboys that would wander through the barns. And I don't know what it was, but they every year the same three or four bronc riders or a couple bareback riders would always end up in my barn visiting with me, drinking beer. Like I wasn't drinking beer. Drinking but your were, beer. Yeah, they were drinking my beer yeah. and, <laughs> and having fun. And, you know, some bull riders and there'd be five or six of us sitting there and me and Curtis and they're like, okay, like, you, like you should get ready or what's going on. Like you should be getting pumped up. And, and I'm like, yeah, you know, like I'm pretty like, laid back and you know you get harnessed and you kind of walk around and make sure shit's good and ready to go and they're like geez i just i just think you need to get way more pumped up than what you are like they couldn't <laughs> believe like i'm just sitting on the bales hanging out with them and they're like oh man you gotta go out there and perform I'm like yeah like this is normal don't worry about it <laughs> uh was one of the bronc riders jim barry is that how you guys got to be buddies or how did that come about yeah so well jim and i actually uh, Urban, too, wasn't he? he 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 rode and galloped some horses he never actually rode in a race and then he uh he rode in the wagon lots and he's he spent two springs at our place helping us spring train and then and then working and stuff with me in the oil field in the winter um his his dad urban and my dad had worked together in the oil patch so one year in medicine hat same thing it was my first year on the tour it it had rained seven inches in medicine hat and that entire rodeo grounds was like like we were flooded it was terrible like terrible and uh so we packed up our horses we had to run in lethbridge the next weekend but we couldn't get into those grounds yet so we went up to hannah out to the farm my dad said get a hold of jim it's urban son go out to the farm and just set up there for four or five days and you can hook and drive out in the field or do what you got to do and he'll help you out so no idea who jim is and we load up and head up to Hannah and it's kind of in the middle of nowhere's, you know, where their farm is and their ranch. And anyhow, we're, that's how we met. And, and then, you know, Jim left the farm for a few years and come worked in the oil patch and got riding Bronx. He was, yeah, he was just riding novice then. And then, you know, we, we stayed good buddies ever since. And then he would, you know, he'd qualified for Calgary quite a few years in a row and got the invite. And, you know, it was just his ritual. He would, go to the rodeo help guys out and then after the rodeo he'd come to the barns and help us out and then neck you know have a beer and head home for the night and then the next day he's in there riding again and come back to the barns and you know we'd go support him and watch him ride and yeah just guys like that and like chet johnson and and i don't know there's uh oh so bad with names but if you you have like pretty good name guys. And I'm like, what are you doing in my barn? Like I was kind of in, in our kind of, you know, I was a fan of theirs. Right. And they're sitting in my barn drinking beer. And I was like, you know, this is cool. That's maybe why I was paying so much attention to it versus, you know, worrying about having to go race a wagon, but yeah. Wacy, we got one more question. Right. Right. The final question of the pod. What is your definition of cowboy shit? 
We've touched on a lot of cowboy shit throughout this episode. So, I mean, we probably could get like a quick summary out of it. Cowboy shit is like when it's raining and it's snowing and it's blowing and you, you, your routine never changes. You got to get out there, you know, whether it's ranching or farming or training wagon horses. Um, when the environment's the worst it can be and you get to do what you love, that's cowboy shit. Well, the uh, the badass rainbow will be back on the track in Grand Prairie. We'll, uh, hopefully, he doesn't get canceled. Ray Crotto Jr. is back, and uh, come back to her, baby. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So uh, we appreciate the time, though, Ray. Thanks for doing this with us, and uh, and best luck this year, man. Uh, thanks for thanks for the bullshit. Thanks for enlightening us about uh, Chucklandia. Yeah, we appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, Chuck Chucklandia, anytime, <laughs> and let's get together and and have some more fun. I appreciate it, and I. And I know my sponsors and everybody involved in my team, this is just a little more icing on the cake and what you guys do. It's, it's good watching and everybody appreciates it. So good on you guys and all the time and investment you put into it. And um, we'll be watching. Well, awesome. Well, I got to thank Les McIntyre helped me out a little bit earlier today and Billy Melville. Also, I got some info. I tried Kurt and Jim both, uh, Kurt texted me back and he said he was busy getting the colony back from Cabo, but, uh, Jim never heard back from Jim, but that's okay. He probably, yeah. probably coming back in a while, but, yeah. uh, try to get some info. So thanks to those guys for helping me out. And, uh, and we look forward to, uh, seeing you back out there, right? Thanks for, thanks again for doing this. Yeah. Thanks for the support. Appreciate it. They all had their baptism. Thanks again to Ray Crotto Jr. for joining us this week on the program. We uh, appreciate it. That was a fun chat about the Nice to learn a little bit more about the ins and outs of the truck. Yeah. Where, uh, and we didn't even get into some, much of the specificities of it. And no. The, you know, the race, uh, uh, what would you say? I, I want to say like race specifics or race. Uh, uh, even some of like the minor details that one might not that you might it's yeah. easy to understand the basics of it like it's a race let's go in but there's also yeah, like, there's so many little things it. that that a person if you're not directly connected to it or you don't know you, you may not have an idea mm-hmm. on how she goes but yeah but good yeah. good show appreciate it a lot the wpca world professional chuck wagon association uh their their season begins in grand prairie at the grand prairie stompede Starting mm-hmm. uh, that last week in May, I want to say like around the 25th to the 29th. Yeah. yeah. I think it's something like the 30th is the last exactly. day. I think the 30th is Monday. So uh, the 29th so, is the last day. Yeah, you're right. I'm yeah, 25th right to the 29th. Yeah. So uh, going to be a good week up there. I'll be heading up on the Tuesday, get her set up and rolling for Wednesday. Wednesday night, perf. The wagon's already slack of the daytime. So, so yeah, I'll be heading up there. And then, uh, and then what? Then uh, Wacy, you're going to PA. And then we got camera outs coming up darby's gonna be there covering that event 
I got Kindersley um, and then Rocky Mountain House. And are you going to Kindersley still? Yeah, I got Kindersley. Yeah. Oh, nice. So that's the weekend off in between. Uh, they'll yeah. be like the first and second of June. Nice. Yeah. yeah. You're going back there. Remember, we hadn't talked, you didn't know the other day. Maybe. Yeah, we they weren't sure. Back. And then they finally got back to me. So it worked out. Oh. Works out good. Oh, yeah. sweet. So you're going to Kindersley. Yeah. yeah. And then Rocky and Red Deer. And yeah, shit's happening now. So, so, uh, but actually, but not really because like we just got a couple things on the go here before. Uh, for like I don't go anywhere till Grand Prairie, and you already got a couple down before I even go. Before we go to go one, uh, yeah, yeah. But it'll be it'll be good though, cause like good. you do you do you do Grand Prairie, and then then Red Deer, and then roll right into Pinocchio and Calgary's. And yeah, and then those bull riders. Bust and yeah, we've got like I got to go to Brandon what? though and Regina before Pinocchio. Yeah, and I got like Waskasu and Slim's house. Yeah, and Clooney. Yeah, back to back to back. So lots on the go. But man, I got my first round of golfing at Valley Ridge the other day. They had a club duster tournament, which was a How lot was of it? fun. It's a yeah. shamble. Yeah. So I ended up, uh, I woke up in the morning and I like, I knew I had to be over there a decent time. Cause I think breakfast started at eight 30 and the tournament started at 10. So I was going to leave the house about eight o'clock and get over there and whatnot. And then I get looking at things and I'm like, I wonder why they never sent me any info on this. And then I wonder why, like what the, I wonder when I'm supposed to even show up there. I haven't seen a, like a team. Like I don't know who I'm playing with. So I got looking at the thing and like, figured out that my name was not not even on the list like i never was entered oh shit. So i forgot to like put my name down i had it on my calendar for a long time like i was looking forward to going to it and yeah. then so i text Curtis like hey I, I think i must have forgot to enter and he, he's like oh well, let's see what we can do so like 20 minutes later he's like yeah we got your spot so <laughs> so luckily i still got to go play i was glad i got in because i would, had been banking on it for quite a while <laughs> i was gonna go play golf but i got end up getting golf uh ended up golfing with a couple uh sweet dudes uh, we were all pretty similar age between like 20, I think they were like 27 to 31, kind of like same age as us. So, uh, yeah, they've all golfed really well though. I think two guys were like four handicapped and the other guy was like a nine or something. So me being the old 17 cap, uh, was, you know, just, uh, sliding in to help, help get the boys some points. But, uh, we ended up winning the tournament. We got first place. Oh first shit. Play. I didn't know <laughs> yeah. that. Nice work, man. Yeah. yeah. I forgot to say anything. Well, yeah, we, we won the dang thing. It was pretty What'd sweet. What'd you get? Uh, uh, forty-five dollar GC to the uh, pro shop. So I put oh, it on come the on, Curtis. Yeah, no way. Forty-five dollars. I'm calling it like, you out, dude. It's like one eighty for the team, right? Ninety bucks. Yeah, one eighty. So I was like, yeah, that's not bad. Uh, you can but, do better, Kurt. I'm but still, you out, bro. But we actually, yeah, we tied for first. So first got fifty-five each, and we got forty-five each. So somehow we nice. must have lost a tiebreaker. Yeah, but yeah, we tied nice. for first in the tournament. I shot nice eighty-one work, in the shamble. So that's just like using somebody like using the best drive and then going in from there. But like, I think I only missed one fairway all day. We used probably like six of my drives on the thing. Nice, it was dude. crazy. The, nice. the, uh, the, uh, the lessons pay, paid off for that one. So yeah, had oh, like a few birdies and had, I think I had the most, I had the most points. It was like a stable for a tournament. I had the most points of anyone on the team, but it's cause I have a 17 handicap. So it looked like I shot. I, man, the high handicap reserve was so valuable in those tournaments. Yeah. Like we, we learned from <laughs> fast last year in men's nights. Like yeah, we can, we out. can actually contribute, which I, it's nice that they set the stuff up like that. Cause it's, if you weren't, if it wasn't a, a way to do that, it'd just be, we'd just be, be liabilities. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Right. So yeah, yeah I actually, even got a couple of rounds in in North Battleford. Yeah, you did. How'd it go over there? What'd you shoot? I didn't keep track the first nine. I did nine on Friday at the North Balford golf and country club, but it was good. I didn't play too bad. Got a couple of pars and whatever, but it was just like a average. And then I shot a one Oh seven on Saturday at Jackfish Lake. Okay. That's enough. Could have been, it could have been oh, a lot man. lower. I missed a lot of putts that I should have oh, made. Okay. Probably didn't practice much lately either. So no, nah, that's the first I've touched my clubs in 
six months a couple, couple months yeah a few months at least yeah no man i'm pumped to be back golfing i really enjoyed the golf in arizona too with uh at the wedding we had a really nice time Caden kelsey's uh wedding donnie joe took a buck or two from me a couple games down there if we didn't talk about that yet he's sneaky good at golf that guy he is sneaky and he just has a short little swing just yeah. very uh yeah but yeah it was good I, and my, i've been getting a couple lessons and they've been uh paying off finally figured out how to how to drive a ball and it worked out on Saturday. So that was nice. So yeah, I'm going to go golf again this week, get a couple more rounds in and playoffs are here. So, uh, yeah, like we talked about on the top of the show, setting up at the dome for, uh, for the red lot for, uh, the party down there. They're expecting like, I think like 5,000 people a night to go through that nice. yeah. setup. So Calgary's, you know, Calgary's buzzing, man. people come and go, how do they say they have like 10,000 nights come in and go. I'm going down there tomorrow before the game. Oh, really? Oh, nice. Oh, so yeah. We'll see you there. Hell yeah, dude. Come so, down. uh, yeah. So, but anyways, man, the playoffs starting up. Okay. So I got my list. We were talking about some picks. So we did a, well, we both did an NHL playoff bracket. So we kind of have our yeah. predictions on how it's on the go. NA, on NHL.com. Right. Yeah. And it's no secret. There were hockey fans on the pod. And it's an exciting no. time for Alberta. both Alberta teams are in. And there's yes. a chance that the Oilers play the flames in round two. So this could be a oh. rowdy, rowdy, rowdy Please. playoffs. It'd be Please. so good. Okay. So if you're not a hockey fan, you might not enjoy this part, but anyways, we're going to have a good time with it. So start, the, start, in the, start in the East in the Atlantic division. Uh, what do you got? I just have my, like, I just have my thing like this where you can. Just yeah. Like, yeah. The, yeah. So the Atlantic Atlantic is, is Toronto, Toronto's division. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So we'll start off first uh, matchup will be Florida versus Washington. I've got Florida and five. What's your pick? I got the exact same. I yeah? think Florida's okay. going to roll the caps. The okay. caps are this don't like Florida. Just, they're, they're too fast and caps are old and their goaltending yeah. sucks. So. Bye okay, bye, I got, okay, next um, series, uh, next series matchup. Uh, there's so there's eight uh, series total here in the first round. Uh, the next one is Toronto against Tampa. The game's on right now. What's the score behind uh, you? It's, there? it's one rep. Uh, Toronto. Toronto. Okay, I've yeah. got Toronto in six in that series. I got Toronto in seven as well. Okay, I yep. just think that Tampa's played a lot of hockey in the past few years. Yeah, it's exactly what I was going to say. Toronto's buzzing. I think they're, yeah, Matthews, due. they're, they're due. They're due to get out of the first time. Round. It's time to get the monkey off the back. So they don't have them. to play Boston in the first round. So you know, yeah, that's uh, yeah. Okay, we're uh, we're in agreement here so far. Uh, okay, then I've got uh, the next series is Carolina Boston. I've got Carolina and six uh, in that series. I got Boston and six. Okay, all right. Well, first because they're so so Carolina's number one goalie's hurt. And Ooh, is he not coming back? I don't know if he'll be back anytime soon, but he's so Ranta start. He's very again, Ranta's good. I just think that Boston's a little bit more gritty than the Canes. That's fair. But, um, Canes got a pretty wicked record coming in though, so we'll see. Yeah. But anyways, uh, next series in the East, the final one in the East in the first round, the New York Rangers against the Pittsburgh Penguins. I have Pittsburgh in seven. Got the Rangers in six. Shesterkin, man, he's a Vesna favorite. I I he's think that lights out, man. But I've got. Pittsburgh with the experience and like, you know, it's one of those last couple of years you're going to see Crosby and Malkin together and the Tang. The, pro- and, the problem with the Penguins I mean? though is the supporting cast isn't what it used to be. Like, when they won those two cups, like they had like, oh yeah, like, they had like Kessel and Benio and, and like all those like secondary guys who were super helpful, but there really is not that much depth there. I just think that New York is built to do some winning. That's fair. Um, yeah. So then we'll move to the West. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we'll be pretty similar on this one. Colorado, Nashville. I've got Colorado sweeping, bringing out the broom and sweeping the. Uh, yeah, because Saros is missing the first two games, minimum. Yeah, yeah, and that's so, tough for the Preds. So yeah, four games there for Colorado. They're gonna steamroll 
Nashville, in my opinion. What do you got? Four games or five? Four, four games. Yeah. Four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I just think that Colorado's scary, man. Next uh, series in the Central. I I picked the Blues here, but man, me too. Because oh, you did. Yeah, I, yeah. And I was gonna say back like maybe I should have took Minnesota, but let's go anyways. I I put this in uh, this morning or last night. So St. Louis had six games. Yeah, St. Louis and seven. seven. I just think seven, that this yeah. that, that that the the experience will show for the Blues there. Yeah, and it may or may not like. That one could go either way. I'm uh, that one's a like a. It's gonna come down to goaltending. It's gonna come down to goaltending. I think. Yeah. So Flower against Huso and Bennington. Yeah. yeah. And then I think I, I think, think I think St. Louis has the goalies there. Yeah. Show up. Yeah. But playoff Flower, like he, he's just not the best now. So and Talbot had a really good end of the season too. So if Flower falters, they have. It's I think it's pretty square. But. That that brings us to the Pacific Division: the Calgary Flames against the Dallas Stars for all our Texas. Cowboy shit fans, sorry, but the stars are going down in five. Yeah, agreed. I went to I went to the last game that Calgary played against Colorado, like, and that was still Calgary slot, which like Colorado or Dallas. Or sorry, I mean Dallas, and it was still a game where like there was something on the line, so it was like full squads, like everybody was trying their their butts off, and Calgary was just like head and shoulders above the stars. Yeah, Yeah. like you just like the one like I think Calgary's built more for the playoffs, and like Dallas really doesn't really have any grit. And I think Calgary can just wear them down with speed and, and the, how, how hard they play. So flames let's go. Yeah. Flames and five K that brings us to our final first round matchup. The Edmonton Oilers against the LA Kings. I have Edmonton in five and we'll see as much as it pains me to say, I have Edmonton in five as well. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, the only, the only <laughs> thing that could fuck the Oilers is Mike Smith. That's the only thing Austin. I'm scared of. Yeah. That's yeah, the only the goaltending, but and but the the nice thing for them is like the Kings are missing Doughty and Jonathan Quick is sketchy too. So yeah, yeah, I think the I I think I've thought the Kings have been overrated all year, and somehow they snuck into the playoff playoffs in my like. But I don't watch them that much. But I just yeah, I feel like they've been overrated all year, and I just don't see them making much of a run. But they remind anyways. me of the 2015 Calgary Flames. Who like oh. they didn't really mean to make the playoffs, but they just had a good season enough where they, they made her in. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I it got shown. I really uh like I think that that's how it's gonna go. And uh so what do I have here? Do I have no Pittsburgh is an underdog and so is St. Louis. So I've got two dogs, I think, out of the six. Two dogs, baby. Mostly the top seeds. But then uh, let's go quickly. There's only six more six or seven more series. Let's just go quick and go yeah. keep going through it. So then that brings us to the, the Northeast. You got Toronto and uh, yeah, we got Toronto and, and the Panthers. So, so I, I, I went for an all Canadian final here. I, I got Toronto over Florida. Cause I think Toronto could go all the way. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to, but, but I, I, I just want to see a Canadian team win the cup again. So that's why mm-hmm. I kind of picked a Homer bracket, but like, it's not that far off. I think it could. No, I think it's happen. good. Yeah. And I think Toronto, like with the crowd behind them too, and things really freaking rocking in the, yeah like at the stadium I like i think they could take i didn't i didn't pick a number of games here i just picked the teams now yeah you don't have, you don't get to in the second round anyways yeah so i got toronto over uh the panthers in this in the second round go to the conference it, final yeah got? I, I, same same same, same? Okay, yeah so that takes me to uh you've got new york and boston i've got carolina uh pittsburgh so i'm taking pittsburgh to go to the conference final against toronto i got i got what new york got? new york New York to the conference final. Okay, so let's go yeah. to the West. I've got Colorado in the conference final. Same, Colorado and Calgary. Yeah, and then I picked Edmonton just because I like Edmonton. When and 
the Calgary Edmonton series, just with it being like the Battle of Alberta, like I think any fucking thing could happen in that one too. I know Calgary's gonna be a barn burner, right? Like I, I fucking hope that happened because that'd be so unfreaking believable. And we just yeah. happen to have some tickets to be able to go to that shit now. Like, holy oh, fuck, that would be unbelievable. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I knew that we had to have a Calgary, like a Battle of Alberta in our lifetimes, and this could be the like one. This could be the one. And it could be like I, a few years. We could have a few of them here coming up. Like for us to be at our first time in our adult live like lifetimes to have these games be able to play. Like mm. I'm fucking jacked. I hope it happens. Mm. So, so I took Edmonton there because Edmonton, like with McDavid dry saddle canes lit, lit it up the second half of the year here. Um, you know, Tyson Barry has underperformed this season. Uh, Mike Smith has probably over overperformed for a 40 year old goaltender. Miko Koskinen still has, he's still got 25 wins this season as a, you know, like a one B goalie. Like he wasn't that's three goals against average. Right. He's all, yeah, <laughs> that's in a shitload of goals, but the Oilers can make up for it too. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I, th- that's what I've got. I've got a, I've got Colorado Edmonton in the conference final. And then just for shits, I fucking took uh, Edmonton to take Colorado, but they've actually, they've actually beat Colorado in the last few games here. Like, and actually like pretty reasonably. So I got an Edmonton Toronto cup final and then I don't care who wins there really. Like I'd love to see Edmonton win, but I'd also be okay with Toronto. Cause we'd have a Canadian cup winner. So, and same thing with Calgary. I'd, I'd love to see Calgary Toronto in the finals because Toronto against Pittsburgh in the final or New York. Like I still would take Toronto just being a homer, being a Canadian yeah. fan. So that's what I got. I got an Edmonton Toronto cup final and I'm not going to pick a winner from there. What do you got? You got Calgary, Calgary, Calgary Toronto and I'll pick a Calgary for sure. Picking Calgary. Yeah. For so sure, you man. got, so like, I don't, I think, I don't know. I think we're set up here for pretty sweet, uh, pretty sweet playoffs. Wow. And I hope we're not heartbroken here. Yeah. <laughs> Man, if Calgary loses the, the first show. round, I'd be so sad. But oh, um, I, I just, I just want them to go deep, just for the sake of like how awesome it'd be for Calgary. Like, oh be, yeah, we're due. Like, we could. I was talking to Brian Hansen on the phone today, and um, he, I said like, how cool would it be for Calgary, like, even to like win the cup or go on a deep cup run, and then roll right into Stampede. Like, it would just be nonstop oh, yeah, energy in the city, and could just yeah. Calgary could use the dub like that. I got chills thinking about that. So. Oh man, and yeah, I just want—I so. just want to experience the Red Mile like in like a Western Conference Final or Stanley Cup Final format. Like, imagine how rowdy that Red Lot's going to be Ooh. in a Calgary-Toronto Stanley Cup Final. Like, yeah. it's fucking wild, man. Yeah. So I think that would just be so cool. The U.S. ratings will go to shit. So the so Gary Bettman will probably try and fuck that up, but we'll see. I think I, I think that the NHL has a good enough following, and there's enough American players involved in the it would be like between matthews and kachuk and gaudreau and all those fellas you you could you could i think you still get enough people but maybe you wouldn't get your hopefully you're like if that if the dallas stars going around you probably wouldn't capture that audience but yeah i don't know i just just want calgary to win be so cool to be be in the city when they fucking win the stanley cup i hope they could do it hope we could man could you imagine if we're in the building for that shit that'd be a top five life experience yeah right okay (laughs) so that's what we're dreaming about right now (laughs) yeah hockey on our brains playoff time um, I hope that the dome is fucking rocking tomorrow. Man, tomorrow I'm, I'm glad I decided to go to game one versus game two, because t- tomorrow is going to be buzzing in the dome. It's, it's going to be fucking yeah. crazy. Like yeah. 20,000 people. Like there's actually like, it's one of those things where there's some confidence in the fan base and the team. And it's yeah. just going to be, should steamroll be awesome, man. Yeah. Okay. I'm pumped, man. We got our show to get to though. So let's wrap it up and we'll uh, see you all next time. Thanks for listening. It's been Cowboy show 10 Wacy. I'm Ted Stone. He's Wacy Anderson. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, get your cowboy shit at cowboyshit.ca or your favorite Western store anywhere, almost in North America. Now we got a few spots. So uh, yeah. See y'all next time. Well, I've seen Jesus play with flames in a lake of fire that I was standing. Here.
Met the devil in Seattle Spent nine months inside the lion's den I met Moody yet another time He showed me glowing light within But I swear God is there Every time I stare to the eyes of my best friend Says my son, it's all been done Someday gonna wake up old and gray Go and try 